space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome back to Chats, a television podcast special non-season. The season outside of the season. The season out at the at the, at the edges of known space. Trek Chats. I'm here with my... Hmm, what's your... My chief medical officer, Alan. Hello. I'm, I'm the chief... I'm the chief... Uh, the chief... Officer. Riker's like, excuse me? Yikes. Uh, And I'm Magellan. And we're Chats, a television podcast. And usually we watch cult classic TV shows, a few episodes at a time, parcel them out, you know, really savor them. But when it comes to Star Trek, particularly Star Trek The Next Generation, particularly Star Trek The Next Generation Season 4, Episodes 1 through 26, we like to feast. And feast we did, and feast we shall in this discussion of that season of television. Alan, are you excited? I'm thrilled. This is, if you don't know, also a first-time Trek Watch podcast. Yes. We've never seen most of these episodes. We've seen the first one before. Back on our Mm -hmm. Patreon when we got ready to pilot Deep Space Nine, we had to watch both halves of Best of Both Worlds. I actually watched another episode previously, but we'll talk about that. Otherwise, we're brand new. We're we're brand spanking new Trekkies. New to the world of the Enterprise and Picard and Worf and Deanna Troy and all the all the pals. So, yeah, uh, yeah I'm really excited. This is like widely considered the best season of TNG. So do we we'll think it tell is? you if we thought the same? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did. We did. We absolutely did. Yeah. How have you been the last three months since uh, we talked about season three? Oh, I'm good. I think it's always fun to talk about like where those three months went, because uh, now it's December. So since September, I um, I was watching season three on a plane, mostly on a plane ride to and from San Francisco, my first mm-hmm. time going to the West Coast. And then literally as soon as I got back from that trip, I moved. So life has been a pretty hectic. And I, I distinctly <laughs> remember watching season three like amongst unopened boxes of furniture because I was trying mm-hmm. to rush to finish it at the end. Uh, mm-hmm. so this season was met with a lot of like some hard stops because of moving and other busyness. But, uh, yeah, I had a really great time watching it. I, I was able to still dole it out over about four days, I think. Um, mainly because of the Christmas holiday. I had a lot of time at my parents to just like watch Star Trek and that was really nice. You know, we've got, I've gotten better at doling them out kind of, you know, I still feel like I can do better at that, but it's a self-imposed goal. But otherwise, yeah, I'm good. I've moved. I'm like, the, I, honestly, man, moving has has made certain storylines in TV shows and movies resonate with me so much more than they used to. Mm. I'm sure you can imagine, like, stories about independence and, like, devotion to family and stuff. I'm like, uh, that's me on the TV screen. So mm. I'd say that fully answers your question of how I've been in these past three months. What about you? Pretty good. Um, the school year started in that time. I guess it had started by the time we did season three, but 
you know, it really, we really started getting down to business. Uh, and that was stressful. The first semester mm -hmm. has been kind of tough for me, but hey, we're here and I've got high hopes about 2023, feeling good about it. Yeah. Um, and it was nice to watch Star Trek, you know, during this kind of downtime, this uh, holiday season, I suppose you could say. We're used to watching Star Trek pilots at this time, but uh, a whole season? My goodness, oh. I felt spoiled. Absolutely spoiled. I was, uh, I watched several of these in the car driving back from our hometown with my girlfriend. Uh -huh. And that was really nice. Absolutely. Watched them the last couple of days off work. That was really nice. So, you know, uh, yeah, things have been good, I guess. I watched a lot of them while building this Lego set that I got for Christmas, which is like a big Formula One car. Mm. It's like easily the most complicated Lego set I've ever received. It's third party. So it's like they took a bunch of real Lego parts and reassembled them into something else. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm like barely a third of the way through it. But I watched like 10 episodes while doing that. So. Season 4 of TNG is the one that I built in my dining room while building Legos, mostly. And then oh, I finished while I was deadly, deadly sick the past two days. Huh. So we'll talk about that. Okay. Um, a couple orders of business. Uh, I'm glad you liked the season. Well, actually, no. Let's, let's first. Let's start. I'm How not glad you liked the season. <laughs> yeah, I'm not glad at all. No, hold on. Stop that. How do you feel about Season 4 of TNG? Oh my god, I was texting you about this like when did this show become a good show? Look, oh. okay, hold on everybody. Hold on. Relax. I've always enjoyed Star Trek as we've been watching it. I've always been a fan, but my goodness, suddenly all of a sudden these episodes are quality, consistent quality. Yes. And you know, you can make the case that there are great episodes in the past 3 seasons, but what you cannot make the case for is that those seasons were consistent. I don't think they were. No. I think season four is, I think that consistency has been improving over time, as has been evidenced by our tier list, of which we will do another one in this episode. Um, but I think we're going to find ourselves with quite a few S's, A's, and B's, SABs, as I say, on our hands uh, in this one, because it was good. And there was a, a pretty consistent bar of like what a TNG episode should look and feel like. Um, and I may not be the hugest fan of the best of both worlds yeah. as like a an episode unto itself, but you can't debate the fact that that two-parter fundamentally shifted the themes that TNG is focused on. And I feel like that event clarified this show in a way that it really needed. And you can tie almost every single episode of season four, even if most, the vast majority of them don't directly talk about the Borg or what happened, you know, in that event. Uh -huh. Nearly every one of these episodes in one way or another is about processing that event and the themes that spun out of it, uh, which is pretty pretty cool so i think that this season also not only has a consistency but has a cohesion that has not been present in tng prior to this point um and i thought that was really really cool yeah it's so consistent like you said and also in more than any other season so far it rewards you for having watched and paid attention to previous seasons like seeing yeah the woman from ryza again and the continuation of the klingon civil war plot you know my mm -hmm. roommate 
doesn't usually watch with me, but he watched the end of season three with me and was like, wow, the Kingdom Hearts Civil War seems interesting. And then today he happened to come back during Redemption and he was like, wow, it's like I just paused and resumed on this plot line. I was like, hmm. wow, you, you missed a whole season of like cooking this plot, but you got the like spoils of it, uh, mm-hmm. which is wild. Like that's a whole season ago that we're resuming that storyline and adding like really meaningful layers to it. Yeah. And it's not just that they added layers and referenced things that happened that we thought were like kind of stupid or kind of just like silly one off. So the mm. show is starting to feel very full and very part. This is part of a whole, you know, mm-hmm. it's rewarding mm-hmm. you for having watched and like appreciated TNG so far. Um, yeah. So I, I loved it. I do think it starts to ebb in quality a little bit at the end. Uh, yeah, for sure. Undoubtedly, a little bit of that is the like the rush to finish it and like, come on, come on, come on. But you can't deny that some of those later episodes feel like season three and maybe even season two ones. But yeah. The first like half, more than half of season four is just like a a a banger after banger. Yeah. Uh, um, I'm wondering if you could play my captain's log this episode for oh, us. Oh sure, I would love to. Captain's log, December 29th, 2022. I'm pretty sick if you can't tell from my voice, so I'm resisting a lot of nice. coughing right now. But yeah, there was a virus on the ship or something. I don't know. But yeah, I'm here with a full brain of thoughts about TNG Season 4, and I wanted to give you folks a few talking points and ideas to help guide your discussion. So, three big questions. Alan, are you listening? Good. Yes, really? No, wait. Good. Yeah. Okay, okay, what number am I about to say? 78. 78. The redemption. Okay, great job. Yes! Wait, another one. What number am I going to say? 32. Uh, okay, six. I got gotcha, you. Yeah. I got gotcha you that time. Damn it! Number two. Um, Magellan, I, got really I have to ask, about how many episodes this season do your notes just say, yeah, I kind of fell asleep during this one, but I'm catching up now. Because if we hit over 10, then you get a huge prize. So there's a punch card and everything. My notes are number very three, detailed I just want to bring up season. some recurring okay. themes. I'm sure y'all will talk about these as well. But just for reference, like one or two episodes. control of your own okay. body, like bodily autonomy, was a big one this season. The frailty uh-huh. and beauty of humanity. Grief. We love talking about grief. Loyalty to family. Family. Everything going on with families. Episodes being about something in addition to being about something. And of course, Keiko O'Brien. Good luck, Alan out. I love that guy. It's such a friendly friendly (laughs) presence on the podcast. I'd rather talk about caked up O'Brien because my goodness, he's... Never mind. Colmini's really good. We're going to see him for literally years. I can't wait. I love that guy. What a great... I do want to talk about Keiko, but we'll get to that. Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get there. My last thing before we dive into the actual episodes is we got... I I, uh, solicited the chat's Discord, which you can get access to by subscribing Mm -hmm. to our Patreon, patreon.com slash chatspod. Or if you just ask us nicely on any of our social media platforms, which we'll plug at the end, we'll give you access. Uh, Mm -hmm. I asked people, hey, do you have any questions about TNG Season 4 before we record? We got three quick hits. Great. Um, if you don't mind. So yeah. question one is from Martian in a Green Drazi's Body, a.k.a. Nick, friend of the podcast. He says, mm-hmm. rank the following sci-fi in order of preference. Star Trek The Next Generation so far. Babylon 5. Farscape. And Frasier. <laughs> so number one this is, is Frasier. What was the criteria in order of preference? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Frasier number one, of course. For me, two is Farscape. 
Okay. Three is Babylon 5, four is the next generation so far. It's basically a reverse order to what he gave us. Yeah. This is tough for me because it's been so long since we've seen Farscape that I can't help but <coughs> worry that I'm seeing it through rose-tinted glasses. But boy, that show's fun. So what fun. A, what, a, what a delightful experience Farscape is, and I cannot wait to experience it again. Same. Um, I'm confident that Babylon 5 is as good, if not better, than I remember it. Yeah. I mean the, the TNG, arts, dude. Yeah. Like if you were to if you were to compare the first four seasons of TNG to the to the four seasons of Farscape, Farscape wins that. Yeah. Handily. I think Farscape gets to the level of consistency and cohesion that we're starting to see here in like season two. Right. Like, uh, much faster. Way faster. And also way bolder choices uh, with a lot of things. Um I mean it has the benefit of coming after TNG and being like, well, let's mix this up a little bit and, and riff on it. So it's not an entirely fair matchup, but uh, I think I'm going to agree with you on the order there. The two asterisks being it's been a while since I've seen Farscape and TNG has three more seasons to yeah. change our minds. Press. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, yeah. that's where I'm at. And you still want Frazier up top? Fraser up top, yeah, my man, yeah, yeah. my man. It's a good side. Yeah, it's weird that they they do so many off the ship episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's it's mostly away team. It's mostly they, just away team stuff. They keep using this coffee coffee house set for some reason, but yeah, exactly they keep bringing the dog, yeah. which is weird because he needs to be up in the med bay. But anyway, uh, our second question is a more serious one. It comes from another friend of the podcast, Ryan Slowinski from the Spit and Polish podcast and up, Yum Ryan? Yum Pod. Hi, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's mostly for you, actually. So, a recurring issue of television for Magellan that's been referenced on the podcast from the start is being able to invest emotionally to a story about a guest star or one-off character. And I'm curious how the fourth season of TNG did when it comes to this problem. One of the strengths of the fourth season for me is how successfully it pulls the viewer into the drama of the one-offs or minor players, with heavy hitters like Picard's family, Worf's old flame, Miles O'Brien, the real Dr. Leah Brahms, Reginald Barclay, and the most important being of all the characters in Half a Life which is one of the saddest episodes of the show, and in part because you feel for the characters so much. So do you feel like the side characters this season have like invested you and made you care about them? Yeah, I, I was going to comment on that, or that was a running theme that was in my mind, so it's interesting to see Ryan talk about that. Um, because I, I do think it is quite a task to try to get you to care about a character that you know is going to be gone by the end of the episode. But there are many examples in season four of them doing that pretty effectively. And I think the reason that it works is because in pretty much all of those, they are very closely knitting that one-off character to a character that we already know. Right. Yeah. Um, And that's where I feel like season four is successful in ways that, Previous TNG seasons weren't as successful because previous TNG seasons are kind of just interested in like the philosophical abstraction of of a character or a concept. Um, you know, the kind of the worst uh, or mo- most boring episodes, I think, of TNG fall into that trap. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think there are a lot of great one-off character episodes that, taking Half a Life as an example 
the reason that one's so good is because of Luxana Troy being there and being like, which by the way, <laughs> did you have that on your bingo card that we were going to yeah. get like a moving dramatic Luxana episode? Um, Absolutely not. But yeah, but um, that's what I would say is I agree with Ryan that season four does that really well. And I think they've found the, the trick to it, um, which I'm excited to see them continue to do as the show goes on. Yeah. Attach it to people we know. Which makes episodes like First Contact so fascinating because they don't do that. They do the opposite of that. And yet it's still a really fascinating episode just about people um, and archetypes that we're familiar with, but not our cast and crew at least for the first like 15 minutes. Um, so we'll talk about that in relationship to your point. But I agree that most of the side characters work this season because they are tied to people we know and love and care about already. That's that's like specifically why I think they work. Yeah. Um, our last question is again for you. Well, I know the answer, so I'm going to ask it to you. This is from Pat, friend of the podcast. Um, mm-hmm. How many ears does Captain Picard have, Magellan? Is it ears? Yeah. How many ears does Captain Picard have? Is, this a, is there like a gag? What's yeah. The... Yeah. Yes. Um... Probably two. I'll say three. Okay, yeah, that's correct. Because he has one left, he has one right, and of course he has the final front ear. Okie dokie. Okay. Okay, Pat, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye, Final front ear. See you later, Pat. Bye-bye. Okay, let's talk about Star Trek. Let's do it. Okay, so we're going to take the approach that we've taken in previous seasons here on Trek Chats, which is we will tier list the episodes as we talk through them one by one. So the tiers are S, A, B, C, D, F, and bad but actually good. I don't know if we'll have any of those this season. I don't think we did last season. Mm-hmm. feels like a category of the past maybe at this point. But I think um, if we can attempt to limit ourselves to four to five minutes per episode, we can keep this under three hours, but it's also once every three months. So if we have a lot to yeah. say about certain episodes... I'm not thinking about a timer whatsoever. Let's have fun with yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with an episode that we've discussed prior to this point. Again, like you said before, on our Patreon, when we piloted DS9, we watched both halves of Best of Both Worlds, and we start the season here with Best of Both Worlds Part 2. Um, do you have new thoughts or, or takes on this episode after having seen it now for the second time? I think Best of Both Worlds Part 1 I remember being slightly disappointed on the rewatch because I was like, oh, like, yeah, the Lakuta stuff is fine or whatever. A lot of the emotional meat of it, though, comes in part two. I really mm-hmm. appreciate, uh, you know, Riker specifically saying that the whole reason that Locutus is a difficult foe is that they're not fighting the Borg. They're literally fighting Picard and his combat experience. So they're fighting the person who gives them directions, which is like that thought is the meat of the first two acts of this episode. Right. Uh and there's a little bit of humanizing Locutus in this that I really love. That was my special shout out. Like when he's on the Enterprise Med Bay, like they're disassembling him or whatever. And his comment isn't like, you're all going to die. It's like, you guys literally, you cannot beat me. It's unfortunate. Like not it's unfortunate, but you get this sense of like almost regret. Like you guys are just going to lose because I know more than you do. And you're not good at this. Uh, really good villain shit to say. Uh, right. But ultimately, yeah, the Riker stuff. 
him stepping up. I, I, I think you wrote in your notes that you wish they, they stuck with that status quo just a tiny bit longer. And I agree. Mm-hmm. I would have liked Captain Riker just for another episode or two to see how he handles it. Yeah. What about you? Yeah, I think in a different show, we do like this. The This is the thing about The Best of Both Worlds Part 2. And the reason I think that Part 1 falls so flat is we know, we have this metatextual knowledge that like Patrick Stewart is Jean-Luc Picard. He yeah. is the face and leader of TNG. And that makes it almost impossible for me to retrieve the feeling of watching this live when it came out Mm -hmm. because at that time it's television television can be unpredictable you don't know if this is going to be the last season of a show you don't know if somebody's going to quit a show or if they're going to do something different or recast it or who knows like anything could have happened and i can respect how part one that moment of fire could have been like whoa holy shit let's talk about this all summer um, and then you yeah. come into this one and they're like, ah, but we're actually not firing. And you're like, okay, uh, uh. <laughs> cool. Um, and so it also makes moments in this episode feel a little silly when Locutius of Borg is in the, the, on the enterprise and he's talking to Worf and it's in this wide shot where he's like, we're going to beat up the Klingons too. And Worf's like, no, you're not. No, it almost don't. felt like a sitcom. <laughs> like yeah. here's Picard swinging around. Mm-hmm. Cause you know that at the end of the episode, they're going to take all the bits off of him and he's going to be Picard again. Um, which like, I think what season four demonstrates is there are pros and cons to having a more episodic approach to major events like this. Yeah. The, con is obviously like in 10 episodes from now we're just back to doing other stuff and we're not really dealing with the fact that picard was spearheading like a massive military campaign against humans and ended up being instrumental in killing many people um we deal with that in the next episode which is great and we'll talk about that um but the pro is that you can kind of like shake off the practical logistical realities of an event like this and say like we're gonna just play with the themes of it but we're not gonna get bogged down in the like particular plotting of it because in another show like a more modern sci-fi show and this is what my note was getting at that you mentioned you'd probably see picard be a borg guy for like an episode two yeah for like a mini arc it would be a little bit longer um and we'd spend a lot more time in the aftermath thinking about like, well, what was that like? And you have, you know, PTSD from it and people are doubting, like, are you still a Borg? And TNG kind of like doesn't fully do that. Um, And I have mixed feelings about that because I think that could be a really interesting status quo, but I think it could also get really tired. Um, Yes. So I have mixed feelings about this episode just because it's like, I'm a big episode. Bye. <laughs> See you yeah. later. Done. Yeah. So I think it's one but, that was uh, overhyped for us a bit. That's my problem. I, I think so. And I think part of it is like, if we had seen it when it aired, as was the case for some of the people who, who hyped it for us, I think we would have felt that hype. Yeah. Um, of course. But, you know, it's hard to retrieve. Um, I think high B, low A for me for Best of Both Worlds. Maybe low A. Yeah, I think 
it's just so instrumental to the theming of the season that we gotta we gotta yeah. give it the A. Yeah, it's made better by uh, the fact that it matters. Yeah, but I, I would. They're definitely. I could rattle off like ten episodes at least that I liked more. Than right, that right, one. right. Um, but we'll give it an A just because it's a consequential episode. Episodes I liked more than Best of Both Worlds Part Two also include <laughs> Family. <laughs> yes. So this is another one I actually watched when we did the DS9 prep, uh-huh. and I think that this one actually doesn't work as well if you don't really know Picard and like why he mm-hmm. is the way he is and why he feels you know at work he's really confident he's really headstrong and he makes good decisions and people praise him for his good work and then right. to just put that dude home in the countryside of France and have his family be like who the fuck do you think you are what right. what you're you're nothing we're out here working and you right. and your foofy starship you're pretending that you're helping the universe people don't even need your help uh this is actually another episode that, or the first episode that really was enhanced for me having moved out because like uh-huh. Robert, Robert, his brother being like, you know, you can't think you're better than me just because you have like the uniform, just because you have the, uh, like the, the clout or whatever doesn't mean in any way that you're a better person. Uh, hmm. so that, that stuff really worked for me this time. And again, like knowing Picard, uh, I went from like, this is an under, this is actually not as good as people say to like, this is better than people say it is mm. on the rewatch. Mm-hmm. And it's got good yeah. B and C plots too, or at least decent B and C plots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what did you think of it? <laughs> so I want to start first of all, by shouting out Arthur, a uh, friend of the pod and a friend of mine in real life. Oh, good friend of mine who watched this episode and uh, the last episode of the season with me. And this was the first oh. one I watched. This was the first one I watched on this watch. And then I rewatched Best of Both Worlds. Uh-huh. Um, so shout out to Arthur, Arthur for uh, bookending the season with me. Yes. And watching this one. Um, it was really, really cool to share this episode with him. It's one of his his favorites. Yeah. Um, for good reason, I think. You know, the the characterful stuff here is is incredible. Um, and I think it, like Best of Both Worlds, establishes a thematic framework for the season. Like family, put very simply, is a core theme and concern of season four. Yeah. At least half of the episodes deal with characters navigating familial relationships or proxies for familial relationships or you know various ways that you could slice that. And so this is also like a core, incredibly important episode for the season. Uh, my my big issue is like, why the fuck is Patrick Stewart French? Like why? Yeah. He's not, he's so British. <laughs> I mean, maybe he has some French heritage as a guy, but like, <laughs> why are we living this lie that uh data my name is jean-luc picard i'm from the french countryside my and brother me and all my family are, are it's rich. yeah it's just one of those the cognitive dissonance for me was really tough um and a little silly but once i could get past that uh it obviously is is an incredible episode yeah shout out to the briefly the bnc plots guy in talking to Worf's parents and being like, hey, your son works really hard and he's ha- he loves you guys, yeah. even though he has to create some distance. 
you're because you're both human and that's difficult for him. Also, I think his dad is Ivanova's dad from Babylon 5. I might be wrong. I think mm. uh, I might be wrong. Someone correct me. And mm. then uh, the Wesley plot where uh, Beverly gets a recording from her late husband. Wes finds it and opens it in the holodeck. And it's this like really touching little video that his dad made for him right when he was born being like, here's who I am when I was born. I tried my best. I'm going to keep trying my best. And the part that got me was like, I'm already apologizing in advance because I'm not there enough because I work too much. And it's like, fuck, he's not, that's not even the reason he's not there anymore. But actually, yes, because he worked so much, he died. So it was a little bit like easy heartstrings for me, but I think it mostly worked. It's just a little cheesy. Yeah. Uh, And then the other line that I was like, wow, this is really affecting. And this comes back, by the way, is Robert gives Picard a a nice old bottle of wine. And the line he says is, try not to drink it alone. Which is like something I want to say to people when I give them alcohol. That's like a nice thing to say. Uh, (laughs) Because it's a little bit cheeky in the way your sibling would be. But also, like, I know that sometimes when you're not feeling good, you resort to this. And I encourage you to think about that. He's like, Mm -hmm. a really nice Mm -hmm. thing that your sibling can say to you. Right. Uh, So... I, for me, this is an S tier episode. Easily. Uh, yeah. Also, the Wharf family stuff in this is pretty fun. Yeah. With his like Earth parents. Yes, I think um, I think that stuff ends up working really well because we get more of Worf's identity, right? Yeah. Uh, so that's an S for sure. Uh, speaking of family, we're not done talking about family yet. The next episode's Brothers. Uh. Even though this episode doesn't start by being about Data, I immediately pegged it as being a Data lore episode. I already knew. Uh, mm. The framing device of this young boy nearly led to his younger brother dying because he scared him into running away, thinking he got killed. And when he ran away, mm. he went to the woods and he ate poison fruit and almost died. And you're like, Jesus, that's like a really <laughs> sad, traumatic thing for like a six-year-old to handle. Yeah. And people being like, hey, Johnny, like your brother might die. And you need to accept that. He's like resisting it in the way that a kid would realistically. Like, no, it's not my fault. Like, I can't accept that, etc. I love that. Yeah. Uh, but then, as this episode ex- uh, extends, Data is pulled towards Doctor Nunian Sung's uh, abode and brings the ship there. Uh, and we get some brilliant three-way acting between Brent Spiner, Brent Spiner, and Brent Spiner as he plays <laughs> Data, Lore, and Nunian Sung completely differently. Oh my god. It's a sight to behold, dude. Like, you're yeah. like, I know exactly, even when Data and Lore look identical. And Nunian Sung looks like Brent Spiner, but only barely. Like, the makeup is, is mm-hmm. heavy. Mm-hmm. To the point where I wasn't sure, and then I heard, I heard it in the voice. I was like, I think that's Brent Spiner. Same. Same. I could tell from the voice. Um, And the horror of Data getting an emotion ship, because his dad is, is uh, Doctor is like, I'm going to put this emotion ship in you, because I finally perfected it, and you deserve to have it. And like... Then Laura stopping that whole thing and killing his dad. And it it worked pretty well for me, mostly, mostly on the back of Brent Spiner uh, as mm-hmm. an actor, which is like mm-hmm. what I'm going to say about half of these episodes coming up. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, this one, I what it introduces that I really like is this thing that season four does of having a kind of like thematically related inciting event or scene that is either 
a side plot or it's just kind of there and then it's gone with the the brothers thing. Yeah. Um and it's kind of a cute bookend where at the end Data's like, "Well, why are they so cool with each other?" and Beverly says, "They're brothers, Data. Brothers forgive." And he gives a little look of like, "Huh? Should I?" Hmm. Lore killed your dad. <laughs> um but yeah, I don't know. This one ended up not being the most interesting to me. Um, and this is you made you were making fun of me at the beginning for like which ones did I fall asleep during? Yeah, it was this one. I was in the car and I was kind of like, Bleh. yeah, it's Bleh. not a. It's it's only important for the sake of Noonien Sung. You finally get to see him and then he's gone. So Laura's still yeah. out there, which I didn't really need to see him. Like he yeah. kind of was working fine for me as a mysterious guy that I'm never gonna see. So. Uh, yeah. it's entertaining. I think it fits within the season. Not my favorite episode ever. Yeah, it's a high B for me. Sure, we'll give it a B. Okay. I don't think right now. Call me out later if that's wrong. I don't think we're gonna get lower than a B this season. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Let mm-hmm. me I'm just. I'm we'll shooting my shot. It's not gonna be this one. Suddenly human. No. No, no, no. This one was so I I talked about good. in my uh, in my captain's log about how episodes of TNG season four are about something, but they're also quote unquote about something. So mm-hmm. like, and by that, what I mean is, on the surface, the a plot is, uh, Picard is learning how to raise a son, like, mm-hmm. and learning to take care of this guy. But also, Picard is like understanding what fatherhood and familial affection is with yes. this kid who's like right you know custody with his race is like really difficult and the kid is annoying and he has this like yell and it's very realistic of him to be yelling and picard's like why do you keep doing that and he's like because nobody lets me fucking do it like i'm mourning my friends and family who died and you guys keep telling me not to stop yelling so i'm gonna yell more like i really liked that whole moment uh and just like watching picard crumble under the simple task of raising a child gave me like you know uh, coming of age story vibes almost. Yeah. It's it's yeah. fine though. You weren't a big fan of this one. Yeah, it's it's got its ups and downs. I again I like the performance of the boy, but the rest of it I don't find super memorable. Oh, hollow racquetball. That's my favorite part of this episode. Yeah, hollow racquetball is awesome. That's fair. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when Picard puts on his little get up and then uh reaches the boy's soul, you know that was a that was a whole yeah thing. yeah yeah. I think what I really enjoy about this one is something else that feels like a ramification of Best of Both Worlds is this ends with Picard saying, "You know what? I'm I'm wrong on this one. You, you go go home." Yeah. And that's not not to say that that's not something he's ever done because there are definitely previous examples of Picard saying like, "You know what? You're right." But I think we see quite a few instances of it in season four of Picard acknowledging I came into this with a particular set of goals that may not have been the best set of goals or like I am fallible and I need to try to keep track of that. Um, And that felt pretty cool to me, Um, you know, to see that like, what the really the big lesson that he learns about fatherhood here is like when it's time to let go let go and let the child make their own decision which is a thing that the 
the guy, the the alien dad guy, I can't remember yep. his name. Um, but that's something that he is like willing to do from the jump. Endar. Um, Endar. And Picard learns that from him, which I think is pretty cool. Uh, I haven't been mentioning fan or production reception much because I didn't check the wiki for every single episode. But I know, just to catch us up, Family was very much disliked by Gene Roddenberry, uh, the episode Family, because, quote, there's like no sci-fi stuff in it. And he was like, oh why gosh. the fuck would Picard have family issues? Isn't he like post family issues? And I've, we've said it over and over again, but Gene, Gene. Runbury doesn't <laughs> understand the point of his own show. Gene, stop it. What are, what are you, you talking about? What did you want your show to be about, dude? Jerry Taylor is basically the main writer on this season. And she's like a lot of the reason they brought the big like empathy, love stuff. Mm. Mm-hmm. That's one of her specialties. Uh, and then for this one, uh, there was a controversy about the episode of condoning child abuse in the in the nineties, because the kid talks about like they break his bones sometimes to like discipline him. I think it's portrayed as bad, and also like when they say broken bones, they don't mean like he was hurt like by people doing it on te- on purpose. He was actually just like a kid playing outside and hurt himself. So there's just occasionally yeah. parts where I'm like the takes from like when the episode aired are really weird, in my opinion. Yeah, there's definitely some stuff with like parental abuse that this episode gestures towards and then tries to undo that feel a little strange. Um, Like you're saying, because I think they, they have actually a pretty good conversation between Deanna and Beverly and, and um, Jean-Luc where they're like, is there abuse happening here? Like, how do we figure that out? What do we do? How do we keep this kid safe? Yeah. That I think is like pretty well written. Yeah. Um, But then, and they just set up all this stuff of like, you know, abusers have ways of like manipulating, um, you know, the person when they're in the room with them. So make sure that the kid isn't by himself. But then we kind of just accept Endar's explanation of ah you know he's playing around which doesn't uh doesn't like fully resolve it for me so i don't know i think that stuff is like a pretty valid critique of the episode that you kind of have to weigh when you're assessing it because i think Mm it presents those themes responsibly but then doesn't resolve them particularly responsibly um and that that feels messy but anyway i i thought overall it was a, a pretty good episode you're talking a or b here um i think b is is fine okay it's a high b B. feels fair cool so now we're into remember me yeah this episode is awesome yes (laughs) it's so so good oh my god speaking of about something and about something about it's about beverly crusher being alone in a pocket universe it is about Mm -hmm. gaslighting uh anxiety loneliness depression and how scary it can feel when you don't have support and when people don't want to listen to you even though what i do like about this episode and i talked about this in the discord is like the best thing about tng now is that everyone's a real family like within the the crew we are found family Mm. so they don't spend the whole episode being like oh uh crusher we don't believe you crusher you're lying it's like no they like mostly believe her 
it's just a matter of she can't hear that and she mm-hmm. can't get out on her own for a while because she's in this pocket dimension created by the traveler yes the traveler from season one um right right i can't shout out enough the best line of this episode she asks the computer here's a question you shouldn't be able to answer what is the nature of the universe and it says the universe is a spheroid approximately 780 meters in diameter uh-huh. and you're like fuck oh boy she's yeah. in a box she's in a fishbowl basically it's intense <laughs> yeah very intense i liked it though uh gates mcfadden give me more amazing episode for gates to just like perform and be by herself and question yeah. herself but also be mm-hmm. confident that she's right yeah yeah it's also really cool metatextually it's really cool for gates mcfadden because she has this amazing monologue when a lot of the crew members have disappeared and she's talking about like how how like unreal it feels for somebody to be there and be so important and be the heart of something and then to be gone yeah which kind of feels like her getting the chance to say like wasn't it fucked up when i got I just fired left. for a season and like i'm back now and i was like yes it yes, was gates tell him oh my gosh that was just such a cool um kind of like setting things right mm-hmm, moment mm-hmm. um that i really liked and uh yeah i think the episode does a good job of reflecting on loss and the ways that we need each other and rely each other. And I think it also, what I appreciated is it does this twist of, oh, well, actually Beverly is stuck without damselifying her. Like she still has to figure it out and get herself out of it and work with her son to fix the problem. Um, And that, that's a tricky needle to thread, but I think that they, they do that pretty well. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it, the line, if there's nothing wrong with me, there must be something wrong with the universe. <laughs> more people need to say stuff like awesome. that on shows. Super good. Yeah. Amazing stuff. S-tier episode, dude. I think so, yeah. That's that's Remember Me in a nutshell. In a in yeah. a cod shell. Uh, do you want to talk about legacy? Legacy. What, what is a legacy? legacy? This was an interesting one. Uh, we'll talk more about Tasha Yar later. Yeah, we will. Let's talk a little about Tasha Yar now. Uh, Another moment of like, let's kind of set the metatextual stuff right by thinking about the ramifications of Tasha Yar being dead on her family. So we're bringing in grief. We're bringing in family. We're bringing in these season four themes. We're talking about Tasha Yar. Uh, We're seeing what the deal is on her planet. And um, I thought this was a pretty capable episode um it's not necessarily my favorite from the season but no i think they do an interesting job of okay here's tasha your sister here's the complicated relationship that ishara has with tasha Uh and the legacy of her um and kind of what would it have looked like if tasha had taken a different path and not joined starfleet um and that's, you know, interesting. I think it's like a intriguing thought experiment. Um, and this is an instance of one of those like one-off character episodes, but we anchor her to Tasha and we also anchor her to Data 
and use this as a way to kind of process Data's relationship with Tasha and missing her. And uh, I really liked how the... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. A lot of the episode is about people missing Tasha and wishing that this worked like that. Like when Ishara says, I'm going to join the Enterprise, everyone quickly says, I guess, yeah, because they want Tasha back, but she's not her. Right. Yeah. And what's I think really interesting in that regard is not only is that a kind of uh, a grief story that's widely applicable to all the characters, but it's also a way to humanize data a little bit because the episode starts with everybody playing poker and Will Riker basically saying like, you, we, I can't bluff you anymore. He tries to do a little magic trick to data and data's like, eh, I saw you palm the thing and nice try, buddy. Give me my money. But Data totally falls for Ishara bluffing him and fooling him because he has a soft spot for Tasha. And that that's something that, despite the fact that he is an artificial intelligence, he's an android, he still has sentimentality, which I think is uh, an important moment of character development for him. Yeah, it's the first of many episodes about Data being like, can I love? And if so, what does that look like? And mm-hmm. they start to explore before we learn that she's lying. This episode is like how in Star Wars Episode Four they just say the word Clone Wars and they made seven seasons out of a show that mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And in season one of TNG, they said rape gangs. Oh, and golly. in season four of TNG, they were like, okay, so here's the thing with the rape gangs. It's like, oh, my God, we yeah. didn't need that part of it. The factions yeah. and the rebels and all that stuff was kind of dumb. So I liked everything on Enterprise, but I didn't like the like Ashara planet. So they remind me of yeah. Farscape almost. I don't know why. It did. Yeah, it did. It was also just kind of lazy that it's like, there's the Alliance and the Coalition. Come on. Yeah. Do better. Kind of lame. Is this a B tier for us? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Slap it in there. Slap, like, and subscribe. I was going to say that. I know you were. That's why I said it. Slap, like, and subscribe. We're now going to talk about Reunion. Reunion. The next chapter of the Wharf storyline Lots of wharf in this season. Tons of wharf. Love every minute of it. Can't get enough of it. Yeah. Give me a wharf show. Lots of data, lots of wharf. Yeah. In in And then eventually four. lots of Geordie fine at the eventually. end. Eventually. The whole season I was like, Where's the Geordie? And then they give me like three Geordie episodes yeah. in a row. Um, um I wrote here TNG is in this really great spot where I can get excited to see people like Kalar again. Because yeah. we know them, we cared enough about them, and them coming back matters. It's not just like a guest star being like, look, I'm back. It's like, Gaylar comes back and she's like, you have a son with me. This is him. Mm-hmm. His name's Alexander. And Worf's like, Jesus, um, shit. And then the political wheeling and dealing, the to the Duras Gauron stuff is starting to cook. Uh, Picard is trying to help him out. We get some great Klingon stuff at the end. The last like fifteen minutes is all action stuff, and mm-hmm. like speeches. Yeah, it's everything I like about a mid-season wharf episode. Yeah, yeah. I think this episode does a few, a few great things, bringing in like different threads of of Worf's backstory and tying them together. Because um, she was in a different episode than like the the home planet honor stuff. Right, those are totally different. Pretty sure, previous yeah. Previous episodes, um, and this episode does a great job of weaving them together because 
yeah, okay, Worf, he's dishonored. Okay, he's worth mentioning that in other episodes. Oh. But we know that like he and his brother have plans to do something about that sometime in the future. And so it doesn't feel like a huge consequence. Um, but when you introduce Worf's son and you have this plot where now suddenly his um, discommendation impacts his ability to marry this woman that he loves, to claim his son and to have this familial life that presumably he wants to have. I thought that was a really compelling tension for Worf to have to navigate. And I was talking to Arthur when we were watching the last episode of the season, uh, which is also Worf-centric, and talking about what we like about Worf, which is that he always makes these really strongly principled choice choices yeah. that are just like not the right choices. They just fuck everything right, up. Right, right. That's not the end <laughs> of the season goes. Yeah, he just makes things so messy because he's he really wants to do things the right way. Yeah. Um and you know, if he had just told her what happened, then she wouldn't have investigated it herself and gotten yeah. killed. Yeah. Um stuff like that where you you watch this guy hold on to convictions that you respect, make choices that you're like, "I see why you're doing that, but stop it." And then they get him in bad situations and you're like wharf and that's just great that's what you want from a tv show character somebody who's just gonna fuck it up over and over again but yeah. who you at the end of the day like fundamentally care about and believe in and want to see the best for them so I, this episode is great I think. yeah directed by jonathan freaks by the way nice work we have another care uh, cast directed episode later on that we'll talk about but yeah, I love this. The last couple minutes where Alexander is like, are you my dad? And he's like, yeah. And then he's like, oh. you have to leave. I'm never going to see you for like at least a really long time. But and he's, I am definitely your dad. It's like, oh, you could have lied and protected him, but you chose to be honest. And I really respect that. Yeah, I teared up when they hugged at the end. Same. It is a little TV convenient that he's like, I'm your dad. Anyway, you're going to go live with my parents that we introduced in the first episode of the season, and we're not going to see you for a while. We're not going to see it's it. Like, you see <sighs> it's like a late DS9 or something. <laughs> right. I don't know if that's true, um, but I'm guessing. There also was a lot of um, production stuff notes oh, yeah? just around like they <laughs> over the course of the show, they have to like rapidly age up his son. Oh, just yeah. For, like <laughs> uh, I was reading. So first of all, you know, Worf uh and um his mate Alexander. Oh, Kalar? Uh Kayla, is that it? Kalar? Kalar. Kalar. Um oh my god, the spelling is not what I expected. No, it to it's be. not. <laughs> it's like uh Worf and Kalar had sex in season one? Is that right? No. Two? I think so. It has not been long enough for this kid to be like walking and talking and running around and being in kindergarten or whatever. Um, but we just we're doing that because it's like story wise what we need to do. And then they're going to continue to accelerate. And they explain like Klingons, they grow up faster. But it I was reading, um, you know, when you have a child actor, they can only be on set for a certain amount of time. 
and it takes three hours to put the Klingon makeup on to begin right, with. Right. So you you get the kid out of the makeup chair and it's like, all right, we got you for like five minutes. Five here. minutes. Okay. Now you got to go. Uh, so that's going to be kind of a weird thing to track as we see Alexander again. But um, I think it's a great, uh, you know, great additional thing for Worf to be dealing with. And I appreciate the show investing in Worf and like bringing together the pieces of his story to make it make it all fit together mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah making a, co- a big picture a cohesive yeah. plot so i think this is another s i think it's not a question yeah maybe maybe i if you okay good a famous episode that i had seen part of but not watched again oh. future imperfect uh, because you saw the trombone part yes exactly or maybe I saw a later trombone part, but I've definitely seen Riker play the trombone. Uh, mm. That's where the episode starts. And then the episode does yet another check off your boxes at home. It's about something, but it's about something else storyline. Because mm-hmm. Riker gets put into a coma for 16 years, I believe it is, uh, or for several years, and wakes uh-huh. up, and the power balance on the Enterprise has changed, and he's now captain of the Enterprise. And Picard is working. As an ambassador with the Romulans, I believe. And everything's yeah, different. Everything's so, a little fucked up. Yeah. So the way that it's initially explained to Riker is he gets exposed to some kind of alien virus that sits dormant in his body. Yeah. And it's not that he's in a coma for 16 years. It's that it hits him 16 years later and erases 16 years worth of memories. And he's in a coma right. for like a, a week or so 16 years later, yeah. which is an amazing, interesting sci-fi premise, a really cool way to throw us into the future. That's not actually what's going on here. Exactly. And then there's four more <laughs> twists that all change <laughs> what that is. a bunch of stupid twists. Um, I was totally content for this to be like a slice of life future yes. story with yes. Riker. And at the end of it, he gets his memories back. And then we pop back to the Enterprise and they're like, oh, that was weird. Well, I guess it was nothing. But we know that 16 years later, it's going to be a thing. Um, But I can see why they didn't box themselves into that because they want to be able to tell stories and not have to think about, ah, does this match with future imperfect, whatever. Right. Um, But yeah, Riker is in this scenario where they are brokering a peace with the Romulans And the kind of key bargaining chip that they're giving up in that negotiation is the location of an outpost that the Federation has. We learn that this is all an elaborate holodeck ruse constructed by our beloved friend, Andreas Katsoulis, who's back. Thank God. Yes. Oh, my God. This beautiful, beautiful man Um, to trick Riker into revealing the location of that outpost. Um, And then they they total recall it. Because Riker notices that there's like a really bad lag on everything, on the computer, on people, on everything he does. And he's like, what's going on? Why can't you guys answer my questions? Oh, is it because you don't know? Because Picard would know the answer to this question. Mm-hmm. And what we realize is that the kid who's been playing his son this entire time and being like, oh, dad, I'll show you the hologram of our mo- your ma- of your wife who mm-hmm. died. You can see her. Isn't she beautiful? I'm so happy to be your dad. You can finally, to be your son. You can finally teach me all this stuff. And then when Riker realizes that even that's a ruse, we pop out and the kid made of a hologram scenario where Riker thinks he's in a hologram scenario from Tomalak, but he's actually just on this kid's hologram projector. It's not even a hollow deck. 
and he's uh-huh. like, I was really lonely and I wanted a father figure. Yeah. What? A little messy. <laughs> a little messy. Like, it's so messy. It starts so cool. Riker in the future, and he's like raising this son, and like, oh, I was in a coma for a while. He's having this conversation with Deanna Troy where like they didn't end up together, and you're like, yeah. oh, they didn't end up together? That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And then it's like, Ah, the Romulans. Ah, just kidding. I'm a little great, man. Take me up to your ship, please. So Bye-bye. weird. Not even Super. a boy. Or a boy, but not a human. Super weird. It was. It could have been, for like a solid 25 minutes, it was like my favorite episode of TNG ever. Yeah. And then it's like, ah, pff, okay. Well, because it's it. like, they also established that it's Riker's birthday at the top of the episode. So you're right. like, oh, this is an episode about waking up one day and going like, road to nowhere by the talking heads you're like this is not the career path i wanted this is not the people i thought i'd be spending time with like where did all that time go that's literally what's happening here and then it's like well just kidding there was a kid who wanted a daddy so he decided to make you his daddy sorry yeah yeah i think it brings it down to a problem i think that's the problem is it loses the thematic core by the end of it yes and makes it about family proxy for family relationships in a way that doesn't work really also the way that Riker knows that the kid is lying is that his wife is a minuet because <laughs> he's like i found a woman that matters a lot to you in life and he's like fuck she's not real dude he's like what do you mean she's not real he's like she's not real but <laughs> yeah i love andreas katsoulis as the romulan guy is like but you you're like you super horny her. for her. Like, what are you talking about? She has to be real. No, no, she was a computer program that I hung out with one time. So, ha ha ha, jokes on you. B tier because of the bad ending. Yeah, I agree. I agree. But everything else is awesome. Uh, let's be quick about final mission. This is the final appearance of Wesley Crusher in the series, at least, unless he does like a guest appearance later. This is his last regular. Yeah, this is his as last one as a regular. Yeah, I believe. And it's his final mission test with Starfleet. He they have to go on this planet, desert planet, and retrieve something. Him and Picard. Uh, they do a little bit of like emotional hand wringing to get you to like, oh, he's always seen Picard as a father figure, and you're like, has yeah. he? Right. Right. And they have this drunk third guy that's with them. I actually spent the whole time thinking that this was going to be like the game and that they were all like, that was the test, Wes. But instead, it was symbolically the final test, like not Mm -hmm. somebody didn't orchestrate this, which I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. And this is a better send off than Tasha Yar got. That's what the production note said was like, if we're going to take characters off the show from now on, we want to do it better than Tasha Yar. And this was definitely better, but not great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, just I just checked. Wesley shows up twice more in season five, twice in season seven, and okay. in one of the movies. Great. Um, so, and he's also in an episode of Star Trek: Picard. Uh, <laughs> I want to watch a, Picard. Adult when we're test, done. Will Wheaton. I'm gonna watch. Well, I'm gonna watch the movies when we're done, and then I'm gonna yeah. watch Picard. I know everyone's like, "Please, for the love of God, don't watch Picard," but you can't stop me. So, <laughs> sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. The the thought that I had watching this one, I think uh, the desert stuff and the guy that they're with, it's like, okay, whatever. This is not that interesting to me. The scene where Wesley is confiding in Picard and talking about the things that he's wanted for himself was really moving. But like you're saying, they really try to 
force in there, this thing of like, I did it all for you, Picard. I wanted your approval. And it's like, you could have done that. That could have, that was the arc that you established in the pilot episode of the show when Picard met Wesley and was like, ah, I don't really like kids. Oh, but I knew your dad. I want to have sex with your mom or marry her or be her best friend or whatever our relationship is. So like, yeah, I'll be your dad. They could have done that, Mm -hmm. but they didn't do that. That wasn't the thing. Wesley had all these other, you know, I think good role model relationships with Jordy or with Riker at times. But like, yeah, they're trying to cash a check that isn't there. Really? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which feels weird. But I do think it's like a really nice send off for Wesley, which I appreciated. Agreed. Um, and now I really don't get why people don't like Wesley because, like, he's not even in a show for that long. That was it. <laughs> You're bugged. I guess, you know, on a rewatch, I could imagine going back and watching season one again and being like, oh, these bad episodes are not good. But whatever. And the Traveler's here. Oh. That's something. Wait, the Traveler in this one? I thought the Traveler was in an old previous episode. No, you're right. The Traveler's in the other one. Yeah. In the, the Oh, the last thing of this one is that Picard, when he's about to die, it's like, if you ever go back to Starfleet, talk to my friend Boothby. He's the groundskeeper. Tell him I missed him or I'll send, I sent for him. So we'll probably see Boothby at some point. Yeah. Um, what was our rating? I don't think we settled on one. I'm between a B and a C just because half this episode was like not was yeah. kind of boring to me, but I think they stick the landing. Yeah. It's a low B. Yeah. I think that's right. I think Will Wheaton's good. Picard's always good. Yeah. I think Will Wheaton does a great job. Yeah. He's a pretty good actor. We'll talk about Keiko later, but people are generally not wrong, but like you had said in your notes, I don't think people understand what they mean when they say a character is like difficult or frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's like the, the characters' plots are bad, right? And I had my own journey with that, with Cupid, which we'll talk about, where it's like, nah, Q's not bad. Q plots are bad. That's where I landed on it. But yeah. yeah, Wesley's not bad. It's just maybe sometimes the way that he's presented to you is not great. Anyway, let's talk about The Lost. This is an interesting episode. Hmm. Yes. I'm wondering where we're going to put this one. Um, essentially... The core plot is that Deanna Troy loses her empathic ability and she's navigating that and uh, her role and her self-image and what does she do when she's missing this fundamental sense that she has. And uh, it's really, really interesting. I'm, I'm curious about your thoughts on the loss. All the speeches in this episode are top tier. Her yeah. Picard... Her talking about, you, and literally using the word disability. I was like, is this a disability yeah. metaphor? And they're like, no, it's actually textual. She is yeah. a disabled woman for this. And it's a short-term disability, but she treats it like it's a, it's you know as legit as anything else, which it is. And says, you guys are all treating me differently. The world feels different to me. I feel different. I feel like I'm missing something. But if I'm going to live like this, I'm going to live like it. Like, don't keep judging me or trying to be nice to me. The way that, like, so many disabled people in the world have to deal with is being coddled, is being infantilized. Because Troy is still – what she learns is that she can still be a great therapist without uh, her her racist empathy powers. Because um, right. this is also framed by a patient who has a really fascinating case where she lost a husband or she, like, I think broke up with a husband who was very, I think, controlling. 
Um, uh, I think he died. I think it's like a grief. He died. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And to cover up for it, you know, Deanna is like, oh, you should feel your emotions and let them out. And she comes back and she's like, I cried for a full day and now I'm good. And she's like, I'm glad for you, but I don't think you're good. I think one day <laughs> is not enough to <laughs> fix, like mm-hmm. to process the death of your husband. And then that's like when she doesn't have the empathy powers and she comes, she quits and is like, I can't take your case anymore. But it turns out that she gave good advice all along, which is to take as much time as you need to grieve. Yeah. I would love to read about this episode from the perspective of the disabled community or like a disability specialist, medical professional, maybe, because it's fascinating. And I think it's mostly handling it really, really well. Um, That's my gut feeling. Yeah, it feels that way. Uh, I think especially Deanna's conversation with Picard, where, and you wrote about this in your notes, where Picard's like, well, I've heard that when you lose a sense, and Deanna's like, actually, there's no scientific basis for that, so stop. And he's like, well, I knew someone who was in a wheelchair. And she's like, dude, no, (laughs) quit it. Yeah, no Uh, model minority bullshit. Yeah, that was a pretty, pretty powerful scene that I feel like must be on the money um mm-hmm. again that's not something i can speak to but it it felt that way to me anyway um but also curious yeah about how people have received it the a plot um, though is about this planet that's in 3d and they're like how do we deal with it and she's like what if we think in 2d and then they view it as a flat image and she's like it's like people they're multi-dimensional and that's very corny to alan personally mm-hmm. yeah yeah um something funny that arthur said yeah we were watching um family Uh is he said that uh guinan is the worst thing to happen to deanna troy like in terms of her airtime in the show because they do so many therapy style conversations all sorts of characters just go to guinan for advice in ways that like troy would would do that potentially right and it was just funny that, like, in this episode, <laughs> Troy goes to Guinan for advice. Um, and Guinan, like, therapizes her into yeah. realizing that she's a good therapist, which is a great scene. Yeah. Um, I just love Guinan, like, playfully being like, well, I think I'll be the ship's counselor. And Troy yeah. being like, yeah, huh? wait, you? No yeah, way. I'll be the ship's counselor. And then Troy, like, knows exactly the strategy because she's she's a professional counselor and that's the thing yeah. that she's like coming to appreciate about herself in this episode is like it's not just about the sense it's about the years of experience and expertise but she like knows what Guinan is doing and she's now having both sides of the conversation ah, i see you're doing this you're trying to trick me into doing this but little do you yeah. know this ah, and I, I i'm a little too smart a little too good at this i thought that was such a great scene and that was probably my favorite of the episode. Low S high A? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think let's give it A just because those like doubts that we have about how well it, it lands it yeah. and the ending being a little corny. Yeah. And also wrapping it up with like, I have it again. Yay. Yeah, we fixed it. Um yeah. So I think it, it it's an A for those reasons. It's the A for me. It's the A for me. Amazing episode next. <laughs> yeah. Um, Data's Day is great. 
It took me until the end of the episode. Did they say it at the beginning? I, I'm not sure. But he's addressing a letter to the guy who tried to say that Data wasn't a person. I think that's correct. Um, I caught it at the end, but I don't know if he says it at the beginning or what. Um, that's just kind of cute that mm-hmm. Data just like sends him emails about how yeah. his day's going. I like that. Hey, just an update. I've been figuring out romance. Oh. oh. Yeah. We're introduced to... Keiko. Keiko in this episode, is that right? Yes. I felt all the Keiko stuff, I felt like, did I miss something? Mm-hmm. Who is this? <laughs> what are we doing? But all of a sudden, it's O'Brien is getting married, and here's Keiko, and she's marrying him, and she doesn't want to, but maybe she does. And Data introduced the two of them. And I'm like, huh? The what? Okay, uh, I guess. And then she's like in the show a bunch yeah. after this. And it's Weird. like, what? What's her job? Yeah. <laughs> I don't get it. Um, and I know we had, um, you came over my house of last week and there was some table discussion between you and some of the other folks who were there about this character maybe or you were interested in getting people's opinions on her um, yeah but do you have thoughts on that so people it seems like so a lot of the fandom doesn't like keiko and from yeah. one of our friends perspective it was like oh there's episodes where she's really terrible to miles and she can be annoying or blah 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 uh-huh. i think the valid complaint is that yeah she's introduced a little bit weirdly and even that they're like oh data you're the dad it's like what why what it's a couple instances this season of like data you're my best friend and i've loved you for years or jordy you're my best friend and i've loved you for years and it's like who are you did i miss a whole episode what <laughs> yeah right so i think that's my problem with keiko i don't want to get into the like gender politics of people not liking her because yeah. she's a woman introduced like as a wife character to miles but she yeah. gives some fun stuff to do and they're culturally very different which is providing a lot of entertainment so far yeah yeah i mean the gender stuff is very clearly there in like just how bare bones her characterization is and how yeah like that being the discourse about her of like she's annoying it annoys me mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's like she's not being written very well yeah. they're not telling you anything about her she's not annoying the the show is annoying for being like, uh oh, somebody's got a wife now. Yeesh. Oh, Uh-oh. guys, you ever have a wife and she doesn't want to marry you? I guess she's oh, tied down. Boy, yo, yo. Yeah. It's just like, what is? What are we doing? Uh-huh. Um. Anyway, but otherwise, I thought this episode was very charming, and Data's narration throughout the whole thing is pretty cute. Did you know that most of the stunts, the jazz tapping? that Gates and Brent Spiner did were real, that they actually did most of them. Oh, I believe it. I believe it. They they were incredible. Yes. Apparently some of it was stunt active, but most of it was them, which is amazing. Because yeah. I think Brent Spiner learned it. Gates McFadden already knew it. She had experience. That's so cool. I love when shit like wow. that happens. That's great. They do a whole routine. We also yeah. get introduced to Data's cat. Spot. S- Spot. Cute. Love Spot. How can you not love a cat? Love spot. And uh, I really like Jordy's at the barber and Data walks in and the uh, voiceover says, I consider him my best friend. 
Yeah. Which is pretty sweet. Yeah. I like that. Um, but yeah, anyway. That's Data's Day. I think it's really charming. I I think it's A worthy just because it's it's cute. Or B. Yeah, it's B. I'm gonna give it a a B. Okay. I like it though. Next up we have The Wounded, episode twelve. This is the first appearance of the Cardassians. Yes. Who we saw in the DS9 pilot when we watched DS9. Mm-hmm. And um, we get some stuff about how there's tension between them and the Federation. There was some fighting, but now there's not. And O'Brien's here, and there's like an old commanding officer of his who he tries to talk down and say, like, look, the war is over with these guys. Um, I think where this episode suffers for me is so many other characters by this point in season four, you can bring back people that they've had interactions with before. And you can say, look, it's Worf's girlfriend from two seasons ago. Or Mm -hmm. look, it's Data's twin brother. Or look, it's Jordy's hologram lady who's real now, which we'll talk about. And you can have plots where characters are like talking to people they've met before uh-huh. or have connections with that we've already established. And this episode, it's like, okay, let's do an O'Brien episode. Mm-hmm. Ah, who does O'Brien talk to? Well, he's got, got no one. his new wife from last episode. And yeah. he's got this guy we just made up uh, in this alien race that we just made up also. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in the midst of that, um, the guy, Who's the guy who plays Maxwell? Oh, Maxwell. Oh, 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 that's no. Cole Meany. Cole Meany does a great job. And I think he he really nails lines like uh, he's talking to the Cardassian guy in the bar. And he says, it's not you I hate, Cardassian. I yeah. hate what I became because of you. And you're like, oh, traumatized yes, by war. Cole. Get that line. Um, but otherwise, this doesn't, this episode doesn't super stand out. Yeah, to me. yeah. No, I agree. I think the speech with with Maxwell at the end is pretty good, but it's a classic mm. like it's a Vietnam War thing, but not really. Where he's like, "Why can't right. why are not going to let them go? That's not fair. They're just going to start a new war." And he's like, uh, "O'Brien is like, yeah, but what if they don't? What if they lost and they're done? Right? And you're about to start it again." And the guy's like, "Ugh, I guess." So I like that. I like seeing O'Brien. The scene where he sings with Maxwell, uh, the like nice. Irish folk song, fantastic. Yeah, best scene nice. in the episode. A tier episode. You think so? Yeah, I liked it. I like O'Brien very much. I want to hug him. Okay. Low A. Yeah, no. I would I would be it myself, mm-hmm. but I'm happy to put an A okay. for our purposes. Appreciate you. I'll give you a gimme later if we mm-hmm. disagree. Okay, great. I'll take that. Uh, <laughs> this one's fucking weird. This is such a weird episode. Yeah. Devils do episode thirteen. What the heck are we devils doing? There's a woman on a planet who convinced all the people there that she's been around for millennia, and she subjugated them. Yeah. And now that it's been a thousand years, their contract is up, and she's going to enslave all of them. Naturally, yeah. Picard is like, "That's really unfair." Also, I don't think you're magic. So we get this great court sequence where Picard and others are trying to interrogate her to figure out that yes, all of her magic is in fact smoke screens beaming down from her ship. Uh, and she's kicked out, and the society fixes itself. Mm-hmm. So it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, this is a there's flat, like, flat B for me. 
she's like poses as the devil and as the Klingon devil Feklar yeah. and uh, I feel like you're in the first in the first six drafts of this script. By the way, um, uh-huh. the the character of Ardra was male. No kidding. So that's interesting. There was some rewrite in there where they were like, ah, it's just not sexy enough. Yeah. Let's do like a like, weird, like flirting with Picard thing. Sure. Um, yeah. It's also, this is the problem. This is my Q rant part one. This is the problem with having a show where Q exists, yeah. where like, they're all like, she must be a con artist. There's no way that she's doing this stuff. In a it, universe where, like, there are multiple cues who are yeah. omnipotent beings who do this stuff, who you met in your first episode, and they have to sit at the table and be like, is she a cue? Nah, it doesn't seem like it. Anyway, I think she's yeah. faking it. Like, huh? B. B's right. Yeah, hard B. Um, do you want to take a break? Yeah. So next up is episode 14, Clues. This is another one that starts with uh, kind of a scene that sets the stage, which is Guinan has come to play Dixon Hill, uh, Mm -hmm. or should I say Gloria from Cleveland, Cleveland. has come to play Dixon Hill. Um, And Picard tries to explain what's fun about it, does a pretty good gangster accent. uh, Is it pretty good? I mean, it's fun. <laughs> it's pretty. Yeah, that's the kind of good that it is. It's entertaining. Right. Right, right. Meow. That's what it sounds like. Exactly. Meow. She... And she does one too, which is fun. Yeah. And um, she's like, "You, you like this?" Which <laughs> is, which is good. And then we get into a bit of a mystery in the episode, which is that we get shot through a wormhole. What? Which seemed like it only took 30 seconds, but maybe it took longer. And Data is being super weird. What the heck? What's going on? He's lying outside. He's going to get fired for lying. Data. Yeah. Turns out they got memory hold. 
They got there. Yeah. The, this was kind of a not interesting episode that had an incredibly great twist. Yes. Which is, wait, data, who told you to not tell us stuff? Well, it was you You captain because there's this alien that doesn't want to be found or these aliens don't want to be found. Mm Mm-hmm. And okay, you wipe our memories. Well, what they do is they knock people out, but they couldn't knock data out. Oh, you can't knock data out, wipe our memories. Data will lie to us, but they left too many clues. Hmm. It's a clue, the game clue. I love the the setup for this. It's a classic mystery story. What's going on? Why is why did we lose time? Uh, and the reveal is really fun. Like, yeah, you guys didn't lose time we just skipped time in your brain basically yeah and it's another aliens like this i love the weird existential aliens that mess up time and space yeah it's another episode that's also concerned with like memory and what mm-hmm. you do remember or don't which is mm-hmm. a part of the best of both worlds thing of i remember all of it it's in the Riker right. episode of future imperfect and now this one is also about memory in a different way of like we have to fool ourselves into not remembering something which is kind of fascinating yeah um and i kind of wanted to see the version of this that's like they have to take like six tries at it to really make sure they're not leaving any clues behind yeah Uh, like a lazier show where i'm like less economic show would have just wasted our time with that like oh we messed up this we left a straw on the floor yeah, or Farscape would have done that, <laughs> and it would yes, have been 100%. awesome. Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, Rigel farted. The smell of farts is in the air. Ugh, gotta go again. Sorry. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it's a high B, low A on account of the good premise. Yeah, I'll give it a B just because I think it's not super entertaining for a lot of it, but then it is like, whoa, that's cool. Absolutely, that's clues, folks. Yeah. Then we get into an episode that you told me to look out for uh, uh, this is an s tier episode let's just say it yeah let's put that on the board right away let's call first it spade spade. oh my god first contact this should have been the pilot this is like a great first episode of tng i think i think the problem with that is that we spend 15 minutes now with our cast what pilot approver would be like yeah that's a good idea right true that's the only thing but i agree it like resets up the prime directive in a very deliberate and cool way while telling us this completely different story about like a different crew of people not related to the enterprise and what happens when the enterprise visits you what paranoia does that cause Mm -hmm. it features some great performances one of the council members being like we can't keep accepting foreign help that's how we get destroyed something political going on there Mm -hmm. maybe trying to martyr himself and failing there's something going on there yeah um yeah i really really liked it and then my favorite part is the woman who's like you know, Riker, you're an alien. I've always wanted to fuck an alien. Can I fuck you? <laughs> He's like, no. Hmm, let me roll that around my head. No, you can't. Oh my and god. And she comes with them. That's or, a different. That's a different person. I could have sworn that was this person. No, different. He okay. doesn't have sex with her. I thought he did. I don't think so. Okay, good. That's good. Because it was like funny, and then it's like, did he actually? Yeah. I don't actually know. Um. No, the person that goes with them is the space minister. Oh. The woman that helps Riker get out was like a just someone who worked at the hospital. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow, TNG. Yes. 
different. It's different also person. a red scare paranoia thing, which comes up in a better way later. Mm-hmm. But there's also just some classic like Star Wars Imperial racism. Like we can't have foreign invaders coming. Like that's just objectively bad. And they're like, why? And he's like, because I said so. Mm-hmm. Right. So villains are a little nuanced, but not very nuanced. Yeah, it it scratched that itch for me of a human reaction, the Farscape episode, where yeah. basically the premise for people who haven't seen Farscape is the main character is has been tossed out of an Earth that we understand far into space, and in that episode gets perspective on what it would be like to bring his new alien friends back home to Earth, which is to say yeah. it would go badly. Um, right. And... I appreciate it when sci-fi shows present Earth as like what Don't it bring would, here. yeah, what it would be like if like our kind of uh, our history as it has happened yeah. had weight on a first contact situation, and we get to see even though the humans are the the Federation. Really, this planet here is a proxy for Earth, and what would reasonably happen on Earth if a an intergalactic federation was like, "Hey, want to join us?" Yeah. Humanity would fuck it up and be Every really time. messy and and bad. Yes. Um, and I think that that is a a pretty cool. I love that they don't for an episode. So yeah, cool. and they're like yeah. maybe later, like maybe eventually, but right now it's a hard no. Right, and you need to see ready. that. You need to see when this doesn't work. Yeah. I think this is a, yeah, this is an S tier. No question Easily. about it. Yeah. Magellan, next up, we're talking Galaxy's Child. Remember that time that Jordy fucked the holodeck? No, wait. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that time that Jordy uh, paid the consequences for fucking the holodeck? Pretty yeah. good. He uh episode. he he met Leah. What's her last name? Leah something. The person who created the engine of the Enterprise, and mm. uh, they he got fell in love with the like the hologram version of her. Well, the real woman is here now, and uh, she doesn't like him. I thought this was hilarious. This is what happens when you simp an online girlfriend for too long, and then you meet her. Uh-huh. Uh, it's super awkward, but you're an adult. And she's also married, and just be an adult about it, and don't be weird, and say sorry. Yeah. Can I can I play you um, a captain's log that I recorded for this one? Please do. Okay, so this is less about the episode. It's sort of about the episode. I'm, well, I won't give it all away, but it's more about an idea I had watching the episode. Okay? Okay, yeah. Okay, so here's, this is my, my brilliant business idea. Captain's log started December 29th, 2022, approximately 1.13 p.m. So I just finished episode 18. Scary stuff. What's that called? Spooky, spooky town. Turn into <laughs> turn into an alien. Identity crisis, which was the second Geordie episode of the season. That's something that I had been craving for a while but i'm recording this as a response to episode 16 specifically um galaxy's child just because uh in part i want to celebrate the fact that we got geordie episodes but really i want to take note of an idea that i had here which is for um an ai assisted dating app to basically do what happened to geordie 
and uh, Leah, but on purpose, <laughs> where you can like train an AI to talk like you so that people can talk to the AI to see if, you know, see if they're into you before you talk. And anyway, I had that idea. I think we're going to see that in our lifetime. And I wanted to make a record of it being my idea <laughs> right here, uh, inspired by Star Trek. Anyway, it looks like we're going to do a little, some sort of a theater play in episode 19. That's kind of fun. So here we go. This is your brain on like a 12 episode marathon of Star Trek in one, yeah. in one day. <laughs> it's like what if dating similar a... to being high on marijuana or something. Yeah. Or having um, a really high fever while doing all of that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that was that was my idea. But I, I was really glad that they explored the consequences of that episode, because I if I remember correctly, when we watched it, we were a little like, Jordy, weird, weird, bud. And they address it. They do it sort of. And then at the end, she's like, ah, I'm sorry for getting so mad at you. Boy, I'm silly. Like it, they kind of fuck it up in the the very end, but you know, they almost they almost did it, and I think it's a pretty good episode. I think that the ending dulls it for me down to a high B, but I'm glad yeah, she stayed with her right. husband. Yeah, a lot of Bs right now. Let's get some higher up stuff, man. Uh, not yeah, the next Galaxy's one. Child is a B. I'm just putting it there. Yeah, not the next one's not not I don't think much higher than a B, but I want to talk about uh Night Terrors. What yeah. you really know about the Night Terrors? Nothing. Nothing. Okay, Cuddy for you. Classic nightmares on the ship episode. I got no complaints about this. Everybody's having nightmares. They're all worried about stuff. They're stressing about stuff. And at first, it's like, okay, is this episode like about how important it is to sleep? And I also wrote like, wow, it's it's another episode that shows us how easy it is to just knock out the Enterprise. But uh, also, uh, even if you take like we're still human, this is a season that reminds us that like even with all the magic of Utopia, we are still people. And if you take away the things that humans require, we cannot function like even on a perfect futuristic ship. If you sleep deprive people, they're not going to be able to do anything. Data is the only one here who can fucking pilot the ship after everything goes bad. And I just find that really charming. What about you? Yeah, I, this is one where I think season four at its worst is episodes like this, where it starts off just really tropey. We've seen a million shows do suddenly everybody's tense or suddenly everybody's being mean to each other or whatever like any procedural show from the 90s to the aughts i'm certain has an episode where everybody's snapping at each other and feeling paranoid for whatever mm -hmm. reason um but the season fourness of it is we're gonna like make an interesting idea happen here which is the stuff where troy is in her dreams communicating with this other alien species whose like telepathic signals are messing with people's rem sleep and they're able to have this exchange of information where they shoot the elements they need to into the the space gap to create an explosion 
And like, that's a cool concept yeah. that I think they pull that off pretty well. Um, so that for me is what, for many episodes like this, save them in, in season four is like, eh, you started in kind of a tropey place, but you really took the time to make this a new idea, which uh, was compelling to me. So not my favorite episode, but not not bad. Definitely in my lower tier of, of season four. Yeah. Is this our first C? For me, it is. I guess we do know about the Night Terrors. Nothing. Nothing. I okay. act acting Captain Data makes me happy when he said acting yes. Captain Data reporting for duty. I loved that. Yeah. Next uh, up is 18 episode 18 identity crisis. So we had to invent a Geordie friend so that he could have <laughs> there. There are some characters in season four who have like a deep bench of supporting <laughs> characters like yeah. Worf has a deep bench of okay let's bring in Worf's girlfriend let's bring in Worf's nemesis oh his brother like there are too many characters for Worf to hang out with yeah for Jordy it's like well there's his hologram girlfriend and that's it that's all all we got so here's a new friend from his old job yeah turns out everyone from his old job is dying or something um they're all mysteriously. They try to do this like found footage thing, uh, of like, oh, we found like the the video where they all died, and who could have been there if there's no body there? Uh, I think that this episode has a good amount of horror stuff, horror elements to it. Yeah. Um, I like the I like the what you said there about like Jordy is a character who he doesn't have a, a roster, he doesn't have a bench, he just reacts to the other characters really well. Um, like the characters that we already know, he has a good relationship with each of them uniquely, but. Where this episode worked for me was the great sequence of uh, like him playing detective and and like rewinding, reversing yeah, footage, that was placing awesome himself in sequence. in the holodeck, uh, and he's able to create this like blob recreation of the monster, which turns out to be this like neon cr- alien that possesses people mm-hmm. like a virus, and it possesses him, and he becomes a neon creature. It looks kind of goofy. I still thought it was kind of cool. Yeah, it reminded me of some of the cooler story moments from um, Cyberpunk, where yeah, you're able to like review somebody's first person uh, tape of something that they experienced. I forget what they call it in Cyberpunk, but it's a similar thing where you can like rewind and walk around the room. And I was like, ah, oh, this is a cool thing, and they're really like putting a lot of thought into it. Um, but it also just leads to like, I found it, a monster, a blob. Yes, that's the answer. Um, so. Yeah, a shapeless blob. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's a B for me. Yeah, definitely season four. This is where it starts the slump, right? Yep. This is we're in the slump. Yeah. Uh, but we're pulled out of the slump, or are we? By another Barclay episode called The Nth Degree. Um, do you guys remember Barclay? He's the really cowardly guy who's like anxious and, and he thinks nobody likes him. And last season he used the holodeck to make in- recreations of everyone on the ship. 
mm-hmm. they got made fun of him for it, but then they felt bad for making fun of him. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this episode, things go from zero to 100 real quick as Barclay <laughs> is shown uh, strike. I'm making a lot of Drake references tonight. Uh, Barclay is shown like preparing for this play that he's doing with uh, Beverly Crusher. He's nervous about that. He's nervous about everything. He's bad at his job. And then uh, a space rock, I guess, comes by. Or he gets hit with a, like a laser or something that makes him really smart. And at first it's like, oh, he's good at the ladies. He's got confidence. We're not going to talk about the science of how like you can add confidence to someone's brain because don't worry about it. Um, and then he gets too smart and he becomes he melts his mind with the ship and they have to pull him out. But he's going to die if they pull him out and he rebuilds a brain inside of a holodeck and they have to disassemble, disassemble it. it just gets I loved how much this ex, like uh, exponentially blew up. Because at first they're like, uh-huh, oh, right. like it's it's fine. I guess it's okay if Barkley's like really good at things. That's yeah. probably not an issue. Not gonna bite us in the oh, he wants to become the ship. That's our bad. Oopsie. <laughs> right. I don't know. You, are, I don't know if you're as big of a fan of a Barclay as I am. How did you feel about this one? I, I couldn't remember. I was trying to think, did I like Barclay the first time around? And I was really charmed by him in this one. And then the episode just went off the rails and he's plugged into the computer and uh then Deanna Troy's like, all right, let's go on that date. Okay. Silly. Um so I liked I really liked him being in the play and being a yeah. really good actor. That was pretty fun. Because Dwight Schultz is just a good actor. Yeah. And I'd love to see more Barclay. Um but they they just took this one far past 11 in a way where how do you do another Barclay episode where he's just a normal ass dude after this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, so so they're fine. Their explanation was that the Cytherians replaced his brain with theirs because it's uh-huh. like a brain exchange. And so they explore the universe via other people's brains. Kind of a fascinating idea. They don't yeah, go anywhere. Cool idea. Because he's like, someone's like, oh, they're doing what we do. They're doing what the Enterprise does. They just don't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like that. But it led to him, like, having the lights coming out of his brain. Also, my one, like, translator microbes nitpick is he's able to say, like, computer, make me a left and right console in the holodeck. Okay, mm-hmm. now, computer, now make it so this console can do everything on the Enterprise. Why is he allowed to just do that? Who did he get authorization? Why is the holodeck allowed to do that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> what? It's Such like if a I went in and loophole. If I was like, computer, can you create a button that blows up the enterprise? And it's like, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and it works. Uh-huh. Well, the computer's like, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, don't worry, I'll tell you how. The computer but he should be say, like, <laughs> yeah. No, no, don't do that. Well, because the computer should say, I can't let you do that, John, like 2001 A Space Odyssey. But instead, he says it to picard later he does the 2001 line Mm -hmm. where he's like barkley get out of the computer and he's like i can't let you do that the computer is my favorite character in this season because it's so particular petty and there are so many interactions in season four of characters being like computer could you do this and the computer's like i I can't help you i don't you got to be more specific yeah like when jordy's setting up um the date 
that he thinks is a date with Leah in episode 16. Yeah. And he's trying to pick the music. <laughs> what an awesome scene. So fun. And he's having to get more and more technical and specific with the computer to get like the lighting. He's like, give me mood lighting. And the computer's like, what's a mood? What is mood? Yeah, you got to simplify this for me. Um, so there's a lot of fun, fun computer. <laughs> computer, soft music. No, soft guitar. No, soft classical guitar. No, bossa nova. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love the computer very much. Yeah. Um, or 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 when uh, uh, is it Riker? Oh, and the Riker is in that episode where he knows that he's inside of a simulation that we are talked about already, and there's a lag, and he's like, "God, stupid computer!" <laughs> <laughs> I hate that there's a lag. I guess that's how he knew it was a bad thing. But yeah, it's fun. I love that computer. Um, how do we feel about the nth degree? It I feel like I've been wacky, given all the ratings. Give me the rating. It's wacky, but it's still entertaining. It's a B for me. I think. Okay. All right, Ruben Stoddard. No, Reggie Watts. No, <laughs> who judges American Idol? Simon Cowell. Are you thinking of... Um, I can see his face, dude. Me too. I'm so bad at... Fuck, what's that guy's name? Paul Abdul, Simon Cowell, in between them. <laughs> Are you going to rhyme it? <laughs> oh, do Simon Cowell. Don't forget to bring your towel. <laughs> Oh my god. Uh shit. Who are the original judges? We will not move forward, folks, until we figure out who <laughs> is gotta the... figure this out. Originally planned on having four judges following the pop out front. Only three judges have been found by the time of the audition round of the first season. Randy Jackson. Randy Jackson, my man. That's kind of a generic. Randy name. Jackson. That's right. <sighs> Tell me the first the most recent hosts. Or the most recent judges. Carrie Underwood. No. In the most recent season. <laughs> Lionel Richie, Katy Perry, and the third man. Luke Bryan. Luke Bryan? Okay. Oh, sure. Okay. That's a good genre spread. Whatever. <laughs> Whatever. Harry, Harry Connick Jr. was a judge yeah. for like a season or something. And I saw a clip online of him giving someone feedback. And he was like really good at it. Oh, and I kind of want feedback from Harry Connick Jr. I'll ask him for it. I'll ask him to yeah. go to you. Um, you want to talk about Cupid? I do. Hold on. Can you talk about what Cupid is about while I look up this hilarious joke I'm about to make? <laughs> sure. So, <laughs> speaking of characters with deep benches, uh, turns out Picard has got some wacky little characters that we just decided to toss into a single episode here. One of them being Q. One of them being Picard's girlfriend, I guess. The way that she's upset. Yeah, his flame, Vash. Yeah. Who Love he met name, on his on Picard's beach vacation last season. Mm-hmm. And she's here because he's speaking in front of like an archaeological committee or something. And she likes archaeology. I forget what he's there to talk about, but that's happening. Sure. And she's like, hey, Picard, give me a kiss. I want to go around and talk to everybody about you. She's like upset that he hasn't talked about her. It's like, what's the relationship here? I don't know. It's a little strange. Yep. yep, yep. Um. Also, there must be like a there's like a noticeable age gap 
between her yeah. and Patrick Stewart. The problem is that the I mean like Patrick Stewart's so hot, but Vash yeah. is like supermodel hot. Like it's weird. It's a, it's absurd. <laughs> it's the part where she like folds her legs it. on the like oh is this where Jean Luc sits? I was like oh my god I'm looking at a beautiful human being. This is like so <laughs> much for me right now. My favorite interaction when Riker's trying to flirt with her and she's like, hey, Riker. And he says, I believe you have me at a disadvantage. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's correct. Um. Anyway, yeah. So she's on the ship and Q shows up. Fucking Q. Hey, Picard. I owe you big time. Let me give you something. What? You don't want anything? Fine. Fuck you. I'm going to turn you into Robin Hood and you are going to have to save Vash from uh, the whatever the Robin Hood bad guy is. Mm-hmm. Do do it. Duke of Nottingham. Okay. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. Fine. I guess. And then we just do like a s- fucking silly ass Robin Hood time. It's great. And it's it great. ends. This part I liked. It ends with Vash being like, I'm going to go hang out with Q now. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. it. That's Q. She wants, she wants to go on adventures. And uh, Q is going on adventures. Here's my thing. First of all, this feels like a Farscape episode. Where it's like, <laughs> we, ju- we just yeah. need an excuse to put them in funny costumes. And it works. The part where Troy is testing out her bow. And she shoots Data in the stomach. It's so funny. Please rewatch it, folks. Where he's just like, oh. She's like, Data! And he just is like, oh. <laughs> so funny. Borf wearing his little red outfit. Me and like fandom people love episodes like this. Just give them a chance to wear stupid outfits and do nothing for 30 minutes. I don't care. <laughs> uh I'm also, I've decided, I, I've been back on Tumblr lately in a big way. I really okay. like Tumblr again. Okay, uh, yep. I can talk to you more about it off air, but. What do you got? That I have become one of the premier Q Picard shippers on Tumblr right now. I love Q and Picard <laughs> as a ship. Sincerely, dude. Because What's the, sh- the name of that ship? Uh, There is, I forgot what it is, I forgot what it is. Q-Card? It's something like that. Oh my god! Oh my god! Q card. Q card. Yeah. You just okay. Whatever it is, I don't care. It's Q card now. Um, no, I just love the way that that Q is like. Come on, be with me. I love you, and I I I adore you. And that like Sundere way that Picard is like, no, like that's so weird. Like, don't talk to me. But also like, oh no, you're back. Like, oh no, that's so. Mm, don't mess with us oh my god i'm i guess i'm robin hood i guess we'll do your little game whatever i'll find he there's clearly something there then i'm gonna go a little bit feral here because i love it it feels a little bit gay to me folks and the fact that picard's old girlfriend gets with not gets with but leaves with q is just Uh it satisfies the shipper brain in me i agree a hundred percent this this is the q episode that has been the least offensive to me so far yeah, it's just fun. Yeah. Q Q Oh, Q card is totally the name of the ship. Yep, it has a it has a wiki page. Awesome. It has a wiki. Um my joke by the way. Yeah. What was Those that? were good times. We had our little fights, broke it off one night. I hopped out the whip heated, needed something I could feel like I believed in, went straight for a bottle. She called me back when she was leaving. Breathing heavy on the other line. I'm standing on the block stupid. Been running from myself but couldn't seem to dodge Cupid. 
Yeah. That I, song. I don't know that song. Yes, you do. That's Talk to You by Kids These Days. Oh. Couldn't see the yeah, Dodge Cupid do. well. Bad graduated oh, yeah. and grung. Pick up the phone. Lie. This is the baby. most narrow casted reference. I feel like I have to explain to people <laughs> what is being referenced here. There's an artist. A, a fundamental part of Magellan and I's friendship was him showing me in 2012 a band called Kids These Days. Kids These Days. Who, who no longer exists, but they had an incredible album called Trap House Rock, which you can still find on the internet, not on Spotify. It's full of samples, and it's a great rap jazz fusion album. It's beautiful. The best song on the album is called Talk the Number Two You, and it features the line that I just read. That's yeah. There's your joke. If you know Vic Mensa, he used to be in Kids These Days. He was the front lead rapper of Kids These Days, yes. Yeah. Donnie Trumpet, the trumpeteer for KCC, now works with Chance the Rapper. It's a whole thing. Great. Yeah. Everyone's caught up. Cupid, A+. Plus. It's an A episode for me. Stop it. It's an A episode. What do you mean? Stop Vash that. is basically Catherine Sakai, except good. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Where's the lie? Where's the lie? Where is the fine, lie? Fine. Fine. You win. Cupid is an A tier episode. I get to determine the next three for giving that to you. All right. Well, the next three are all good. So go ahead. Go off. I think you're right. Um, Okay. So the next one, episode 21, is called The Drumhead. Yeah. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. This is like the McCarthyism one. Tarsus, he thinks he's half Vulcan, but he's actually half Romulan. Romulan. How do we get there? How do we? I what? I don't think I was following this one super well. How do we get to like we're doing these McCarthy style hearings exactly? Uh, a chamber thing explodes on the Enterprise. They think that it's sabotage. They think that it's the Romulans. They're worried about that, and so they bring on people from Starfleet because if it's somebody on the ship, then they can't be. They're going to be biased as a judge. The uh, judges so, so, turned to out to be the real biased people. Got it. Got it. Got it. Uh, and it turns into this like naming names thing and then this really great scene where they put picard on the stand and they're like well you let a romulan spy get away and also you were controlled by the borg that one time so what's the deal with that yeah pretty valid questions um Um, yeah there's some big weird sci-fi nonsense in here jadon the like klingon who i think did the bad thing the way he gets the data is that he has a syringe that he injects files into people's blood with. It's really weird. Really bizarre right. idea. Right. They, yeah. He like can process data into liquid, put it into a syringe, and then inject people with data to make them like living like secret files. Uh-huh. Uh, there's a Betazoid investigator, which seems unfair. And then the judge is like, well, you guys have your own Betazoid that you use all the time. Is Why is that fair? Uh, it's a morality play. I like a good morality play. Yeah, I think the it's interesting to me for, uh, how do I say this? Like the politics of this episode are not particularly revolutionary to me because mm-hmm. this feels like a pretty widely accepted um, analysis of the Red Scare. And like, yeah. if if we're doing a Red Scare allegory, we're not. Maybe in the '90s, this feels different, or the late '80s, this feels different. Are we in the '80s still? 
No, we're in the early 90s. Early 90s. Maybe in the early 90s this feels different and maybe we're even talking about more recent events. Uh, mm -hmm. And this is obviously a timeless theme in American history, but it, it just feels a little pat to me for Picard to get up there and espouse these kind of like, um, you know, not particularly... Uh, Nuance. These are values that I think any American would be like, yeah, that's my values. I believe in freedom and not persecuting people and whatever. It's just that people then like don't live by those values. So mm -hmm. to me, it's not an S tier episode just because of that. But yeah, good. I think it's I think it's a solid A, and especially with the ending about like, you know, oh, we we how could we have known that like Starfleet was going to have bad people in it, and then. Picard says, like, you know, sometimes he doesn't say fascists and bigots, but he says, like, bad people disguise themselves as ideologues. You know, they say a lot of mm -hmm. big things and they sound like they know what they're talking about. And those are the people that you shouldn't trust. And I think that's the, like, thematic meat here to bring it to A tier. Yeah. He says something like, it's easy when the bad guy's twirling a mustache. <laughs> right. It's fun. Um, okay. Episode 22, Half a Life. Mr. Warfield's who twirl their mustaches are easy to spot. Those who clothe themselves in good deeds are well camouflaged. Yes. Right. Sorry. So episode 22, Half a Life. This is the Luoxana Troy episode you have always been dreaming of and hoping oh. for out there, audience. Oh, um, my God. She is the main character of this one, and uh, oh it's pretty God. moving. It's a pretty good episode. I think I give this... Oh, go, oh, go, 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 please. No, I was going to well, give the the plot of it is that she befriends this uh, scientist who's trying to de-age the star in his planet's star system, and he helps the Enterprise to start that work, but something goes a little wrong, so he's not fully able to complete it, and then he has to go home. What was the problem with going home? Well, on my planet, we have uh, we execute people when they turn 60, as opposed to caring for them until they're dead. And uh, so Luoxana has this kind of twilight romance with this guy who knows that he's about to go home to die. And they navigate these questions about like aging and like really finding yourself and finding what you love and finding somebody you love. But when you don't have a lot of time left and it's this really beautiful um, set of conversations they have, I, I think it's a really well done episode and such a surprise to take a character who's been this like goofball comedic relief character and make her angry and sad and hopeful and like explore this huge range of, of human emotion. Mm -hmm. It so, pretty good. It welled up a lot of emotion in me. Um, I don't know. I think Luoxana talking about like elder care and, kind of innocently but very reasonably being like well why don't you guys even give them the chance to live a life what if somebody's sick and you don't offer them the opportunity to take their life early you make them live out their term it works both ways doesn't that seem kind of bullshit and it feels like she's talking to us in a lot of ways like why do you guys why do we not treat our elderly the way they are the way that they should be why do we judge other societies for do for handling this differently and we we hold so tightly to our own beliefs and what's the saddest, though, for me is that it works on him and he starts to believe it. But he, what he can't do is he can't change society. He's only one person 
in like the last couple of years of his life and we get the, the 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 best moment is when his daughter comes onto the ship and is like so angry at him because she's like you don't get to decide this you don't get to take this decision away from the rest of our society what if eight million people didn't want to do that and they do want to end their lives at 60 still and you're telling them no it's all changed because change comes from enough people in a wave deciding things like this and it's sad right. to say but throughout history there have been people like this gentleman who like timison who have been like i think that this needs to be fixed fundamentally and then hundreds of years go by before anything can happen right uh this one got tears out of me and it's for me it's an s tier i agree i agree with that and ryan slowinski in our in our discord chat was saying how like this episode works especially and in his question at the beginning like we don't know timison at the beginning of this episode and by the end i'm like welling up with emotion at him leaving to, to end his life right so that's just a, a testament to that and like loaxana yeah we know her and it's actually it works better that we know before now she's been so funny she's been so sexual and whatnot and she's finally like grasping real life and the like people in front of her in a meaningful right. way and i i just love that a lot yeah agreed hard ass yeah. Uh, let's pivot to a stupid one. It's the host. It's the first <laughs> appearance of the Trill. What a weird episode. But Beverly has is suddenly speaking of people just being in love or being knowing someone that we don't know. She just has been with this guy to the point where they're in like a, a sexual relationship. It turns out he's a Trill, or he's it's a Trill controlling his body. Mm -hmm. The troll, the Trill jumps into some other bodies, and she feels complicated feelings about it uh it seems like it's dying uh by the end the trill is in the body of a woman and she's like um i don't know about that you guys and tng is basically saying come back next show for an actual nuanced portrayal of gender and sexuality with the trill <laughs> yeah people thought that this was homophobic it it is a bit wouldn't it's you it, say it, well, I think her saying, like, I don't think I like the thing. I, what she's realizing is that, yes, the body is partly what she liked, that there is a physical attraction when it's in a male's body, and that's gone. And she can't climb past that. Mm -hmm. But, I, yeah, I, I think that it's also that the the show, like, the writers or time or history hadn't advanced enough that they could just say, like, yeah, sure, have a main character on the show be attracted to the alien, not to the body. Um. So it's like disappointing because yeah. Beverly is someone who I think is like pretty progressive and forward thinking. But um, yeah, I I was I was a little bit let down by, but not too much. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely feels like. I'm glad that they were like, hmm, this feels like something to address. Like if you fall in love with a being that has different hosts uh you're going to have to be in love with like someone whose body is changing constantly and uh is that possible um but i think there isn't really a counterweight to beverly saying like mm, sorry i'm only into guys uh which is a yeah it's an incomplete picture i think Right, I think like in today's world, there is room for like a story of a couple who starts out as a hetero couple, and one of them transitions, and the other one says, "Now my feelings for you are complicated." 
Uh, because unfortunately, mm-hmm. that happens a lot. And it's something that I have anxieties about, even like as a non-binary person. I'm like, do people, when they find out about this part of me, are they no longer attracted to me because they like me for being a guy? Um, mm-hmm. That has happened literally recently. So mm-hmm. I get that. And I, I, I empathize with the, tri- with the trill here. But like, uh, this feels like a beta plot line, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, literally, like the trill in DS9 are not a big slug. And also they can take transporters. They say in this episode that he can't take a transporter because it'll reassemble his body weirdly. That's mm-hmm. not how it works. So they re they refigured out the trill after this. But yeah. Also, the trill being in Riker was like kind of weird. <laughs> so weird when Riker puts on the dude's weird clothes. And it's like <laughs> hanging out. Looks like a dork. Yeah. This is like a a C. Yeah. I I just I want I want Crusher to have a boyfriend, but I also want it to be Picard. Yeah. Or. Or Troy. Um. Anyways, <laughs> wait. No. <laughs> so okay. I think let me. I'll work on my ideal pairings between now and next season, guys. Don't worry. Okay. Don't you perfect. Worry. Perfect. What's next? So then we have episode twenty-four, the Mind's Eye, which pulls an unfair bait and switch. It starts yeah. with. <laughs> Jordy heading off to where Picard had his beach adventure. And it's like, thank God, Jordy's going to get a beach adventure. And Jordy's like setting up the shuttle pod. He tells the computer that he wants a Latin beat, is what he says. Yeah. And he's like, eh, actually, I just remembered I like acoustic guitar from the other episode. Right. Then he tries to like play a game with the computer, which is really fun. He's like playing a word game or like a trivia game with it. And then he gets captured yeah exactly then he gets captured by the romulans no and they like do stuff to him and they turn him into like a manchurian candidate thing sleeper agent guy it's kind of scary it's scary it's like we're still doing the thematic ramifications of best of both worlds which is interesting but the whole time i was just like you you stole the geordie beach adventure episode from me so I gave I, I don't even want to watch what you're doing right now. Yeah, give Jordy a freaking break. <laughs> yeah, I think that bumps it down to a B. I have some more notes on it though. Yeah, what do you got? This becomes like a tense spy thriller for a bit. That little part where Data tells Worf to arrest Jordy, and like he's like, uh, uh, I guess I have to, and then like that he's like running away and all that stuff. I was like, oh, this is so scary and sad. They're like best friends, like having to go against each other's like basic thoughts to do this, and then that ending. Because, like, you know, the end of the Barclay episode is, like, I still remember some of the big brain stuff. Ha, ha, ha. What a twist. And the sad other version of that is the ending of this one is Jordy realizing he does. He still doesn't remember what happened on Ryza. Mm-hmm. Which is just, like, he's going to have to live with this. Just like Picard's going to have to live with the Borg. So it is the same storyline again, kind of. But in, he doesn't actually. Does he? I don't think he kills the senator in this. No. I don't think so. So. Yeah, I think it's a B. It's a good B. Yeah, but it's fine. Give Jordy a break. Give Jordy a break. Uh, and then winding down here, we have the last two episodes. Um, first up is In Theory. Uh, what is this one again? This one's great. This is the one where Data is in a relationship. Oh, my God. Data girlfriend. The second to last episode of the season is Data yeah. has a girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? 
It's great. So there's this girl named Jenna who had a bad relationship with a guy named Jeff. Jenna and Jeff, dumb couple name. Uh, she's like, Dana, you're the only guy who listens. Again, a like, why do these two people know each other? Whatever. It establishes that the people on the Enterprise talk. They're to in other the people. woodwind ensemble together. Duh. With with Keiko also. Yeah. Uh, that's fair. Yeah. Sorry, I just remember, remembered uh, that you were in orchestra with people that you had feelings for at some point. So you're like, wait. <laughs> both my high school girls were uh, girlfriends were in orchestra. Yeah, That's both right. my high school girls. Sheesh. <laughs> Sheesh. Um, and it hurt him not knowing that she's flirting with him, and then he tries to flirt with her, but he programs himself to flirt. And she's like, "Can you just be the real you?" And then Data hits me with the existentialism and says. There is no real me. Damn. Christ. Damn. Uh, Sheesh. What's hilarious is that there is an A-plot to this episode. It really feels like they threw in an A-plot, but it gets kind of intense for two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's like... it's like I have there's... no notes about it. I was not interested at all. I didn't either. And then... Uh, the It was like, okay, weird stuff is happening on the ship. Like, door doorbells are ringing, and... Uh, people think that they're hearing noises, whatever. But then a woman falls through the floor and dies. Like she clips through the floor right. like it's a video game and dies. Right. And you're like, Ugh. what? Um, I read that two things about this episode, two trivia. One, this episode was inspired by the female fandom falling in love with Spock because they always said, I could fix him and huh. I want to fix him. And so they said, what if a girl got with the emotionless character? Huh. And they could let her be the female self insert. Uh, I think that works pretty well. I think it's sad to say that, yeah, the similar things would happen with Spock, although he can express emotions, so it's not the same thing. Right. Also, this episode was directed by Patrick Stewart. Really? Yeah, he directed the romance, the data romance episode. That's awesome. I love the montage at the core of this where data is going around to asking everybody for advice is so good. Best part of the episode. Yeah. Basically, the way it goes is he goes to Guinan, and Guinan's like, "Whoa, this is this is weird." He goes to Jordy, and Jordy's like, I- "I'd love to give you advice, but I'm Jordy." Then he goes to Troy, and she's like, "Uh," and then Worf is like, "Make sure that you are like take care of her, or I will beat you up." Yeah. <laughs> Riker, after Data goes to four different people who are like, Riker's hey. like, yes, dude. Hell yeah, dude. Go. Fucking go for it. And then, I love the way Picard brushes it off where he's like, ah, yes, I've heard you've been asking people about this. Look, I'd love to talk, but I, I'm I'm busy right now, but definitely would love to talk. I gotta go. I'll see Picard, you later. Picard asexual, Picard asexual, Picard asexual. Picard asexual. If I keep saying it, it'll come true. Um, do you want to see a picture of Picard of uh, Patrick Stewart directing uh, Jordy about uh, Data and Guinan in this? Yeah, yeah, I do. He's wearing wow. uh, denim. He's wearing denim. Look at that denim. It's on the wiki, folks, on the um, Memory Alpha. If you want to see it, I think this is an A episode. Yeah, I think so. You know why? Because two things. Number one, the part where he goes, "Are we no longer a couple?" Then I will delete the appropriate program. I say the same thing at the end of all of my relationships. I say the same thing. <laughs> Except for me, the program is uh, girlfriend.exe on my desktop. It, it's like a photo album. It's very, it's very cute. <laughs> um, also, did we talk about how Data has a cat? 
We talked about it in the first appearance of the cat, but there's a lot uh, more cat content in this one. It's great. Spot. I love Spot. spot. Me too. Very I much. I live for Spot. Star Trek 2, the search for Spot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if I laugh the other way, I'm going to start coughing a lot. I'm sorry. You're right. It's okay. It's okay. Want to talk about the finale now? Let's do it. So it gets big, folks. This is Redemption Part 1. Uh, it's a two-parter that ends at the beginning of Season 5. Picard balances his Federation and Klingon duties as new Klingon Chancellor Galron faces a civil war. Meanwhile, Worf and his brother Kern fight to regain their father's honor. Whoa. This is another great Worf episode. This episode is fantastic. Holy crap. I was so... Uh, did you watch Part 2? No. I didn't either. No, no, no. I just wanted to watch it really badly, and I managed to not do it. I was like, I'm going to wait three months. Yeah. Or not, you know, whenever I decide to watch... Wait till start season we record five. this. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, there, the two plots happening at the same time. Picard, like, establishing and figuring out what's going on within the Klingon homeworld and what's the High Council up to. This is, like, Game of Thrones stuff. There's a boy king now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, just to clarify because there's a lot of moving pieces Worf wants Gowron to rule because he said he will reinstate Worf's family uh, to do that he Worf used Starfleet records to prove that his family was unfairly betrayed and he works with his brother who's played by Tony Todd who owns a bunch of ships that he's going to give to Gowron Duras who died previously uh, has a son who's being puppeted by Duras's sisters uh, who he has like three sisters uh, Worf is actually able to get Gowron installed and get his family name back, but now he has to support Gowron because Duras's family is not going to take this hands down. So an upcoming Klingon civil war is brewing, and uh, in order for him to interfere with this, he has to interfere with planetary politics, breaking the Prime Directive, which means he can't work for Starfleet. So the episode ends with Worf quitting Starfleet. Oh, so good. Holy shit. Hold the not only the resignation, but the part where he walks down the line and everybody's like looking at him and saluting him. Oh my god, dude! So good, so good, amazing, absolutely so amazing. good. Yeah, and then just let's throw in a little extra. Um, Duras's sisters are being assisted by a Romulan who looks suspiciously like Tasha Yar. What? Hmm. hmm. Do you know what's up with that? I spoiled it for myself. My yeah. man, I figured, I figured, I did too, though. But I'm allowed to. <laughs> <laughs> but what a what a reveal! Because yeah. I was watching it with with Arthur. Um, Hi, and, Arthur. And I was like, "Wait, who's that in the shadows? Was I supposed to know who that was?" And he's like, "Yeah, I don't know. Hmm, that's interesting. Like oh, he weird. really he really didn't give it away. And then freaking Tasha Yar steps out of the shadows, and I'm like, a bu- 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 uh-huh. Excuse? Really good yeah. reel. Such a such a fun. I can't wait. This 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 episode pulls together everything. Like the, the Klingon stuff is is my favorite stuff in DNG right now. I always love to see it. This is like Babylon Five quality. Yes, stuff of yes, like 100%. here is here is the crescendo moment where everything gets fucked. <laughs> so. And this is going to be the new normal. And it's doing that Babylon 5 thing of like, let's set this up and resolve it like in the first third of the next season. Right. Thing. Yeah. We'll come back. Um, yeah. So I I really, I think this is an S tier episode in my opinion. 
absolutely agreed. I don't even. I, I'm. It's an. And it's fulfilling on its own. Like it doesn't feel like it's half of a. It is bigger. Part of a bigger story, but I felt satisfied by it. Yeah. I'm surprised it's a call to part one. That honestly has me a little worried that they're going to wrap it up in the first episode of season five. In literally an episode, yeah. We'll yeah, find out. We'll see. Uh, the Klingon Civil War begins in season five of TNG. Uh-huh. Um, so that concludes our rankings. Uh, can you tell me at least our S tier episodes? Yeah, I can. I can give you everything. Okay. So our C tiers were Night Terrors and The Host. At B, we have Brothers, Clue, Data's Day, Devil's Due, Suddenly Human, Legacy, Future Imperfect, Final Mission, Galaxy's Child, Identity Crisis, The Nth Degree, and The Mind's Eye. A tier, Best of Both Worlds Part 2, The Lost, The Wounded, Cupid, The Drumhead, and In Theory. And our S tier episodes from Season 4 of Star Trek The Next Generation are Family, Remember Me, Reunion, First Contact, Half a Life, and Redemption Part 1. Those Love it. Some nice episodes. And just to just to put a fine point on this, you compare this with season three, our rankings there. Mm-hmm. Season three, we had one D tier episode, no D tiers in this one, nothing below mm-hmm. a C. Season three, we had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine C tier episodes. Ooh. So things things are on their way up. We've doubled the number of S tier episodes. We've added one A tier. We've vastly increase the number of b-tier episodes so season four is just by the numbers here in our opinions much better than the ones that have come before it's um, pretty fun yeah 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 it's a, it's definitely the best season so far i think that's i think it's still like if you were to ask me to order the seasons i think it's four three two one honestly it's just been linearly better i think so yeah I'm looking at episodes from season five, just like that, just titles and things to mm-hmm. get excited about. Uh, we're going to get a new character, a new me, a new um, Enterprise member next season. Uh, mm-hmm. We are going to get a couple of really great two-parters, continuing some plot lines that we already know and love. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a big chunk of this that I haven't really heard of. Um, I think the back third. And then Iborg, which is another Borg episode, and the second to last episode, The Inner Light, considered by many to be the best episode of TNG. Okay. I'm excited. I think I've seen The Inner Light. That might be one of the ones where someone was like, you gotta watch this one, dude. It's like if you never yeah, watched Yeah, that's TNG. the one where Picard does the flute. Yep. Yep. Right now, it's the one where Picard does the flute, and in three months, we're gonna be like, the one where Picard does the flute! <laughs> through tears um I yeah i can't wait either so we will be back let's see this is releasing in january so is that april yes it'll be the first week of april yes assuming scheduling works out we're gonna try uh-huh. to come back in three months and talk about tng season five if you have let's take it to the plug zone yeah let's do it okay yeah. great john where can people find you online you can find me on another podcast called Super Smash Echoes that I do with my friend Justin, where we play video games related to the Super Smash Brothers franchise. Super Smash Echoes. What about you? Uh, Scanlinemedia.com. I'm on a couple of podcasts over there. The Creatures Quorum. The Creature Quorum, where my friend Six and I talk about creatures like Pokemon and monsters from Monster Hunter. And we rate them on their looks, vibes, etc. Um, it's kind of a fun little comedy show. We also have Oops More Anime, where we watch an episode of Gundam every week. 
uh, from the new series, The Witch from Mercury. And uh, on amaboston.org, you can find me on Talking Marketing, which comes out every two months. And I talk with marketing CEOs, mostly CMOs, about uh, their craft and why they do what they do. So that's that. Um, I can take us to the chat bug zone. Please do. If you have questions, comments, concerns about Trek, Trek chats, Star Trek in general, or chats in general, we are at chatspod at gmail.com. Our Twitter is at chatspod, while Twitter still exists. Uh, that handle is being used elsewhere in case we ever have to move places. Uh, we have a subreddit, which is our chatspod, C-H-A-T-C-P-O-D. That's our community-run subreddit. If you like the show, rate us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify so people know we exist because we're pretty cool, I think. I hope. God, I hope. And patreon.com slash chatspod is where you can give us a little bit of your coin. If you want to support us, keep the lights on, help us buy equipment as we try to do really cool things in the new year. Um, if you support us at $1, 3 or $5 a month, you get all sorts of fun bonus content like movie commentaries that people vote on, uh, pilots that people vote on, and uh, conversations that people don't vote on. Except sometimes they, I guess they could. Um, yeah, and then if you have the $5 tier or above, you get thanked at the end of every main feed episode. So as of today, our $5 tier includes Arthur, Jen, Justin, Kat, Lee, Magellan's mom, Marcus, Michael, Nick and Pat of the Brothers at Infinite War, Six, and Stefan. All things chats can be found at chatsball.com. And if you like our main feed podcast art, it's done by Camilla Strader. She is at Camilla Strator on social media. Magellan, one more section before we end here, before we take it to the close of Trek Chats. What is your chats in for this week? What's your recommendation for the folks to Trek out? Uh, over the holidays, I was home in our hometown and we had a lovely uh, annual cookie decorating experience. And afterwards, we played some games. And so I have two chatsums for you from that gaming experience. First, we were at the table and we played a, a board game. Uh, two, actually. One of them is called Mr. Face. And it's a yeah. cute, little, cute little thing. It's kind of like a Jackbox game in a box, in a real box, uh, where you're kind of using these physical pieces to make a, a face and based on a card prompt. And everybody else is trying to trick people into picking their card instead. Um, it's kind of like if Balderdash was interpreting a, a facial expression made of little plastic bits. So it's cute. It's a small thing. Um, very easily transportable, Mr. Face. And then we played Charty Party. And this is now the third time that I've seen a group of people absolutely fall in love with Charty Party. Um, essentially, Charty Party is apples to apples cards against humanity those millions of games like that but where the cards are the x and y axes of uh graphs and so you're trying to pick a card that creates a relationship between two concepts that's funny um given the shape of the graph um and i really like it i don't like cards against humanity all that much um because it feels like the whole thing of it is I got the dick card and now I'm putting <laughs> come, come on the table and isn't that funny? Um, and so I like no. this one because it takes a little more, it prompts you to be a little more creative because of the like 
conceptual nature of it. There's still cards that are like the amount of cum in your dick or whatever. It increases as you get older. <laughs> it's like you can still be dumb with it, but um, it's fun. Tr- your mom party. might listen to this. That's fine. <laughs> whatever. Um, everybody was playing the raunchy cards with my mom at the table. So. Yeah, that's fair. To make her say bad words. It's true. Yeah. Um, I did that on purpose. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then we played the new Jackbox. I guess I had three things. We played the new uh, Jackbox Party Pack 9, I think they're on now. And um, it was good. They had a new Fibbage. Fibbage is a fun one. Fantastic game. Um, and they have this other game in there that's like, you are the characters in like a Big Brother style reality show. That was actually pretty fun. That we didn't play, but I played with my family the day before. So, mm-hmm. uh, Party Pack Nine, not a bad one. If you like Jackbox, it's more of that. Uh, so check it out. What about I love you? Love it. That's such a fun night. Shouts it to was. your family. Also, it's just fun get people to play games with. It was a fun one. Um, my roommate and I started the year with a new movie to to put on the letterbox. Um, it's a new documentary that just came out on December thirtieth. Technically, uh, it's called This Place Rules. Uh, are you familiar with this at all? No. What is that? So it's on HBO Max, and it's from Andrew Callahan from Channel Five, which is a YouTube channel that I have chats on. Ah, before. yeah. So Channel Five, if you guys don't know, they um, Andrew Callahan's an interviewer. He's a young guy, got out of college got an RV, him and his friends go around the country and go to different conventions, protests, things like that, and just put a microphone in front of interesting people. Uh, That's been the format of Channel 5 since before it was that, back when they were owned by Adult Swim. Um, They continue to do great content over there. I highly recommend the YouTube channel. And they just put out this movie, This Place Rules, which is a collection of a bunch of Channel 5 stuff and new footage uh, stitched together with a narrative from Andrew, like sitting in a director's chair, showing how America got from the 2020 election to the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. Um, It is stark. It is a little scary. Uh, And when I say, like, how America got there, I mean, like, the types of people that, like, voted for Trump and how that that divided us and why Mm -hmm. that divided us up to, of course, the attack on the Capitol was going to happen. If you were paying attention, it seemed inevitable. Uh, and the, tra- the the frustration of that and like coming from different sides. What I appreciate about it is that Callahan and his crew have always been like really, really even handed with like not judging the people they're interviewing. Um, if anything, they're judging the systems that allow these people to be there. So like a big point in this place rules is like, if you think about it, the people that can go to protests can afford to go to protests and take time off of work and like stand there and yell for three hours. They are not the people who usually benefit from what's being protested. Also, the people who are profiting off of our political division continue to do so, even if we are red or blue or whatever. So they don't actually care who you vote for. 90% of the people who go to these protests that he talks to don't even fucking vote. It's it's sad all the way down. Uh, but he also manages to bring a lot of comedy to it. Uh, and it's not a depressing documentary. I mean, obviously, like the state of America is like a little depressing, yes. But it's sobering, and it's very raw and human, and I laughed a lot at it. I thought it was very entertaining and enjoyable, and I think you should check it out if that sounds at all interesting to you. And I think it's going to be taught in schools in a couple of years for sure, because it's like so crystal clear how we got there. It's called This Place Rules, and it's on HBO Max. Oh, all right. Check yeah. it out. 
It's super short too. It's like an hour twenty. So mm. that's what we got, folks. Thank you, John, as always, for joining me on the Starship Trek Shots, uh, where we keep on watching Star Trek until there's no more left to watch. <laughs> and we'll be back in three months. So until then, engage. <laughs> <laughs>